the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us this morning. And we love being here with you as well. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden in Memphis. I'm Kenneth Mabry with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, and I'm tired. <laughs> I did not want to get up this morning, you know. I told Jim I've never heard him say that before in I my know, life. that's what I'm saying, what? I, you know, did a lot of physical work for me yesterday, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go back home and take a nap. There's nothing like moving. Nothing like it. I know. No, yeah. I pulled into the cove last night, and I've got a neighbor uh, that was moving in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I pull in, and he kind of waves at me, and I kind of wave at him, so I'll go over there and introduce myself to him. And uh, I'm thinking— oh, you, Did he start moving out? Well, and he would know he's— <laughs> no. Oh, if he only knew. So, and I'm dead tired. I'm like, you know, after I introduced myself, I said, man, can I help you, you know, move any of these boxes? And thank goodness he said, no, I'm, I'm in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> like, You're like, good, because I'm Ooh. not right now. Yeah. but <laughs> I was, so nice. But I was it? ready to give the guy a hand. And, of course, I looked over to my right, and his carport was just full of boxes. Oh. And I didn't even look in the truck to see what was left. So I just turned around and walked back out, you know. But you're off today. i got a bunch in the attic that need to come down the stairs. So if you want to come If you over. only knew what my wife had planned for me today. And God, yesterday, what about yesterday? I, I don't know what was well, happening. It was great. <laughs> I did I mean, like. Had to go in the attic. It was oh, the perfect right. day. <laughs> See, there well, he goes thinking about be, himself. Going to be yeah. 90s all this next yeah. week. Gee. I know what happened. What was rain predicted for yesterday? I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, I missed that Claire's somehow, in there shaking so. her head like everybody knew but you How, and I, Veda. I know. Okay. Well, anyway, I did enjoy it. Uh, but the wind then kicked up, too, so the hanging baskets. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was cool. cool. I thought um, maybe I should take some stuff in, only because it's not going to get too cold for it. Mm-hmm. But the wind was, was beating it up. And then there's some kind of tender plants that are greenhouse grown. And then we put them outside in that type of weather. It was stressing them. So we put a few things inside. Yeah, we were grabbing all the hanging baskets, the petunia hanging yes, baskets in particular, and getting them inside, uh-huh. you know, because you don't, you know, it, yeah, the weather's fine. And the geranium hanging baskets. Right, and you don't want them just getting waterlogged, and then the blooms just kind of shrivel up, yep. right? So we were running stuff in, running stuff back out. I mean, it's crazy all Gosh, day I yesterday. I'm <laughs> yeah, oh, sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. But now is... Now, but then we were talking about seasons last last week, how I like the four seasons. And you said, well, <laughs> fall only has two days. You call that a season? Well, here we go yeah. with spring. It's summer next week. Yeah, but fr- it's going to drop. I had a friend one time who bought a convertible. He said, I wouldn't have bought it if I'd known that there are only about two weeks in Memphis you can use it. Yes, <laughs> this is, that's a good point. Yeah, and then, you know, we go from, I mean, here it is May, honestly. Yesterday you had a a vest on. I mean, because mm-hmm. it was a wet and windy and a little chilly. And then you look at the weather next week, you know, I saw some mid 90s, mm-hmm. almost 100. I'm thinking, almost 100. <laughs> hey, anytime it's mid 90s to me, that's almost 100. Okay. So wow, everybody gonna, buckle up and get ready. Right. But it is, go- I'm, I'm saying like I'm the weather forecaster, but surely it's going to drop back down to normal. Yeah. Well, surely said. Surely in Memphis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it will. But anyway, that's just how come we're good gardeners in the Mid-South because we have to deal with so many different types of weather in one season. Good thing. In one week. 
Yo, that's true. <laughs> one week. Hey, we've even had it in two days before. <laughs> but it was it was you know yesterday. I mean, and today, honestly, and even tomorrow, with tomorrow being Mother's Day, and Happy oh, Mother's Day to everyone oh. out there, including you, Miss Veda, is. People feel like they've got to get some stuff done, if nothing else, just for Mother's Day, right? Mm-hmm. So they were out in the weather yesterday regardless. Thank goodness they were, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, and I've never seen so many people shop in the rain and mm-hmm. run inside when it starts raining heavier, run back outside mm-hmm. when it's you know not raining as bad, just getting their stuff, knowing that they've got to get some stuff yeah. done before tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was two days ago it was raining pretty good. And I looked out the the door to the front courtyard at the garden center, and there was a lady standing out there in the rain, well, looking around. And I thought, man, she must be an avid, avid gardener. I said, well, I am too. Let me brave the rain. Heck yeah. <laughs> and go out there and stand in it with her. But it wasn't horrible rain, but we looked at a lot of shrubs and all, and then she was. She says, okay, um, I'm going to get some, and let's load them up in my car. And I told her, let's wait. You just don't understand how wet these shrubs are going to be on the foliage when we're trying to put them in your car. So we're, we're just like Kenneth uses, says the word, we're chomping at the bit. Yep. And she was for sure, but standing out in the rain, I thought, this is definitely what a gardener does. Well, I had a, uh, a customer come in yesterday, and she had a sample of Jim. In fact, we she talked about this. a sample of Jim? She had Jim. a sample of a Japanese maple that had flushed out and then oh, died. Oh, okay. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, how many more of these are we going to see? Um, and she showed me, you know, a picture. This was a well-established Japanese maple. Uh, and it had enough energy, like I said, just to, to flush mm-hmm. out, to produce some leaves. And then immediately it just started started dying. And, you know, and Jim, you were saying a lot of that was from the winter. A of lot course. of it from the winter. And we're seeing it in some other stuff, too. I've seen it a good bit in Oak Leaf Hydrangeas. In fact, just last night I was answering a question for a lady on their Facebook group. Uh, and what's happened is that sometime during the winter, either early or early last winter, late last fall, or this spring, yeah. the sap was still in those stems, and they froze. Uh, and so when the sun finally got around to hitting it, whenever, you get one side to expand, and you'll get <clears throat> little hairline cracks in there. And, of course, what that does is just disrupt the tissue, mm-hmm. the flow of foods through the tissues. Some buds will be fine because there's still some tissue that's functioning in there, and there's still some carbohydrates stored in the stem. But instead of it flushing, like the two on each side, mm-hmm. this one uh, was had a little sprout here, and a little, but a lot down at the base, which told yeah. me that that basil sprouts that's coming because those stems got damaged and why and why so much this year it seems like then and and we see some of that every year Mm -hmm. see more and more of it though and i think it's just because um i mean it's got to be the we're planting the same plants but the temperature's changing yeah yeah we're seeing more of this up and down instead of staying cold staying warm um, so, which we used to think was good because it would kill some insects, yeah. Know, but now we're finding <laughs> yes. it ain't so good. It kills some plants. <laughs> it really didn't do a good job of killing the insects. Well, you know? I know it didn't because I found out it's got to freeze longer and deeper to kill our insects. And here, it, 
it doesn't freeze deep enough yeah. or long enough. Well, yeah. What we used to think, though, is and, and the, it still sounds good. And mm-hmm. I, is if you get a warm spell in January, you get uh, things like aphids hatching. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so they come out. They get maybe a generation or two because mm-hmm. it doesn't take but you know a couple of days for that to happen. Right. Uh, and then we get a freeze and it kills all those. Well, now you have less adults to start the season. And if that happens a couple of times, then you end up with significantly less ad- adults once the season progresses. Oh, yeah. So, but know, but <laughs> you know. Um, Little aphids, they're like little Xerox machines, you know. They produce, they don't need boys at all. They, they just, it's just a girl thing. And they produce little copies of themselves, you know, like one every minute or two. Uh, so they produce lots of these very quick. So, you know, we can kill 90% of them and still have more than we want to say grace over at the end of the season. That exactly. is true. And then they get way, way down in the, uh, in the stems or, the bud union, they they hide in all these places so deep where it's warm as yeah. well. And then, like you and, said. And it's, it's hard to get insecticides, even oils, down into those really tight crotches mm-hmm. and so forth because it wants to stick to each side of the stem. Yeah. So a lot of those insects will survive even an oil spray application because we just can't cover them. Well, I'll, I've got, I wrote down aphids last night. Uh and we'll talk about that later on, about what they were on and, and the number that I saw, which oh. I've never seen. But but with the Japanese maple, I mean, I told the young lady, I mean, go home and give it the old scratch test. Start at the top with your thumb and just kind of scratch the tissue and see if you can find good, green, viable tissue. Kind of work your way down and see if you can. And I said, well, don't be surprised also if you can't. Because uh, you know, by looking at this and by what, you know, we're seeing where it flushed out and then die back. It's probably a goner. But, um, you know, I said you can, you know, cut out what's dead if you do find green tissue and wait and see if anything flushes back mm-hmm. out, feed it, root stimulate it. But I think more than anything, like you were just saying, Jim, I think this thing is a goner because of the type of winter, the yeah. the, mm-hmm. the thawing and the freezing, the thawing and the freezing that we had. And I'm telling you, and, and what – I hated to see was this a was a well established Japanese maple. Yeah, oh. I, I looked at one uh, week before last and looked at a dogwood and a Japanese maple, and both of them were damaged from sun scald. You know, and just didn't think you wouldn't think that this winter was that bad, but it actually at some point the conditions were correct. The plant was still green, and we got a freeze. Oh, love mid south. Okay. <laughs> If y'all want to know anything about gardening, y'all can call us at 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can stream us online at kwamradio.com. You can post a text on our Facebook Live. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we were talking about things that were freezing and all. Okay, elephant ears. So... There, yesterday, we ha- we planted three elephant ears last year, and uh, they were gorgeous in their yard. Well, when we cut them down, we didn't cut them to ground level. Mm-hmm. I just cut them down where there was about four inches left. And so I checked them, and they were smushy and smelly, and you know, because it was holding all that water at top. Kind of like my top. banana tree was this yeah. year. Yeah. 
So I told um, one of the guys just chopped the top off. I said, because there could be green under there. Mm -hmm. There could be some stuff coming out. And so he started chopping. He pulled the bulb out and he shows me, is this what you're talking about? And I went, why'd you take the bulb out of the ground? But, okay, there's the bulb and it did have some green coming off the side. Um, but he chopped it in half by accident. No, it'll double now. Okay, that's what I'm. That's what I was going to ask. I'm, I'm, we're good, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just so. There's so, a basal ring of cells where the roots join. You, you see it a lot on amaryllis. It's really mm-hmm. obvious on those. But the right there is where the the pups will form, oh. and it's kind of like when we do. Um, uh, raw sizing on on uh, hostas. Mm-hmm. We cut that ring, so instead of having one, we now have four, and you can get a new growth pip off of each of those. And that's what happens if you s- slice a, a elephant ear in four pieces, you'll end up with four plants. Oh, and you you did so raw, you need to thank him later. Raw sizing. Raw sizing. Raw on, sizing. Yeah, well, well, you know, you have to tell us what uh, that okay. is. <laughs> uh, and, and I did a video for um, WKNO, and it's one of their mm. most watched ones too. That uh, they told me. But Fantastic. what you do is when the bud comes up, you take a razor blade and get directly over it and push it down, cutting that bud in half. Mm-hmm. Okay, until you get to and cut through the ring of cells. It kind of looks like a little hairy ring mm, around it. Okay, okay, yeah. And then move it, turn it 90 degrees, and cut it again so you've mm-hmm. actually put a cross in it. Mm-hmm. Well, now you actually have four separate plants instead of one, and you'll get a new uh, leaf bud forming off of each of those. And there are some hosta that just don't want to grow secondary plants unless you do this. So you can make a thicker Tricks hosta of the by trade. doing that. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And um, we used to do all of our carryovers, the hosta that we didn't mm-hmm. sell at, at Dan West uh, uh, the year before. We would raw size those and repot some of them if they were big enough. But mm-hmm. we'd raw size them so that you would end up instead of one, what yeah. looks like one plant in the pot, you'd end up with four plants in the pot. And it looks like, ooh, better deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, Isn't that amazing? I wonder if I'm going to do that this year. And you were, razor blade cutting. And you were talking about the elephant ears. Well, the, mm-hmm. I mentioned the banana tree. I've got a hardy banana that's been in the corner of my backyard for years now. And it comes back every year great. Well, I noticed this year in particular, I guess because it was so wet and cold, but wet and cold, which is not always good for bulbs that are in the ground, is that my, my center bulb is gone. Yeah. Nothing's coming up. I've got it's like a ring around mm-hmm. where I used to have a banana tree, and these little banana trees are coming up. Um, so, you know, I we'll, wonder if uh, everyone's elephant ears did make it. Have you heard well, people talking m- about mine? It? Are fine. I mean, but on mine, the mother plant gets killed every year. You know, it's mm-hmm. the pups that I love that keep going. Uh, and with the Baju banana, up until last year, uh, two winters ago. I've just cut it off, cut the leaves off, left mm-hmm. stems up, and they re-sprouted. It was mild enough that the the trunk actually didn't freeze. But the last two years, it's gotten, for some reason, gotten cold enough to freeze it all the way to the ground. Yeah, that's what I happened yeah. with yeah, mine. But right. my my new ones are up waist high now. I mean, they're... That, boy, they're coming out they're, nicely. Um, then uh, that reminds me, talking about banana trees. Okay, so I am ordering. There's a list of plants, reading down and reading them down. I'm really quick. I have to hurry up and order. 
And I saw hearty banana. So I grabbed, you know, oh, let me get five of those. We need hearty bananas. They came in and they were the banana shrubs. Mm-hmm. Oh, so what yeah. What do you, I, well, I know we've plant. tried them. It's yeah. a great plant. Yeah, it, you know, it's related to magnolia. It has a beautiful white flower, a little smaller than the sweet bay magnolia flower. Uh, but it's a nice evergreen shrub. Um, wow, I did not know that. It is. It's a great plant. It's you know well, good because I'm thinking. Place well, it's it a in, container in the plant. shade. Mm. You know, or a little bit of sun's okay. But mine did not. I moved mine from where it was um, in f- full sun, and it was not happy there. And I moved mm. it to the shade, and it was much happier. <laughs> well, I like that. There's another shade plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice foliage and all. So it wasn't so bad of a mistake, but at first I said, no, I didn't order any banana shrubs. Banana I wanted a banana shrubs. tree. And then I went, oh, I bet I did. I yep. bet I did. Um, we, let, yeah. Do we have, a, we have yeah, somebody Cheryl, on the Yeah. Good morning, Cheryl. You're in the Mid-South Gardening. Good morning. I love your show. Thank you for hosting it. Yeah. Thank you, Cheryl. Good morning to you, dear, and happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you. I have a pecan tree. 25 years old, never had a pecan on it. Could it possibly be an ornamental pecan? And also, I'm finding pecan trees sprouting all over my garden. Well, I don't get from it or what? Yeah, I've never heard of a pecan tree not bearing, you know, fruit. Or I mean, never heard of a pecan tree not being an ornamental that doesn't have the ability to produce pecans. Um, Jim, you said there are some. That you, you well, you you know you have to have two pecan trees, okay, for them to produce fruit, and they have to be from two different groups. One where the pollen matures before the female part of the flower, one where it matures after. But to cross pollinate, if you don't have those, they won't produce fruit. But is there typically uh-huh. like in Cheryl's case, if she's got one pecan tree in her landscape? I mean, aren't there typically enough pecan trees out there to where we're going to get pollination, or is that just not the case sometimes, depending on where you are? Yeah, it depends on where you are. Now, if the really old, long mayhem will produce by itself, it's kind of the parent of all the pecans that we have now. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it produced a really long pecan, and it was almost always black in the end because it didn't fill out, and it wanted to produce every other year. Uh, Now, you may be seeing something instead of pecan trees. um, Right now, I've got a number of chestnut seedlings coming up in my garden. Um, It may not be a pecan. If you could, take a picture and send it to us on the Facebook group, and we'll see if we can get a positive ID on it. Um, Mm. That would be the best thing. But even there... If there's a pecan tree somewhere around, it could be um, squirrels are planting them, yeah. you know. So, but yeah. quite, I have seen pecans that went years without producing anything. But they, there, pecan trees sprouting up everywhere, and they're very, they got a deep root, and they're hard to dig up. That's the question, though. Are they mm-hmm. really pecan trees? Uh, oh, I yeah, see. That's oh, what I'm okay. wondering as well. Yeah. Yes. And, and okay. then Cheryl, so the safest thing she could do if she wants pecans is to plant another pecan tree out there. Right. Uh, and that mm-hmm. way you know you're trying to ensure that you get that pollination that you need to get the pecans. Well, this one, it's already 25 years old. It may not last too much longer, you think? Well, typically about 40 years is the... Lifespan? Well, it's not the lifespan, but the real pr- productivity 
years of a pecan tree. They'll live much longer, but typically their production goes way down after about year 40. Well, you know, you could add um, compost under the tree, Mm -hmm. uh, zinc. Do do you think she still needs zinc? Well, most pecan trees do, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, so zinc and compost. That would give a lot of nutrients to the tree and hopefully get it to bloom or bloom produce the pecans the next year but and I mean you would want a layer of compost and it needs to go out as far as the tree because the feeder roots are there or just use a good general natural fertilizer like plant tone tree tone something like that and then add supplemental zinc yeah and look at your leaves see if you see uh, an awful lot of little looks like balls inside the foliage uh, mm-hmm. Pecan phylloxera, it's mm-hmm. a little in- insect that attacks right when the buds are swelling early in the spring. And a severe enough crop will keep you from having pecans. But so, you really wouldn't notice from a distance. You would not notice from a distance. You'd have to look at the foliage and you'll see what looks like. It's got little balls inside of it, just perfectly little round green mm-hmm. knots on in the inside the foliage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and Cheryl, I know you I know you got some uh, questions on tomato seedlings, but we've got to go to a hard break here in just a second. Sure. So if you don't mind, we'll go put you back on hold and we'll answer those questions about your tomatoes, okay? Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And y'all give us a call, 260-5926. We'd love to hear what's going on in your gardening world. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all are up with us this morning. And we were talking to Cheryl. Let's go back to Cheryl. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for holding. Thank you. I planted some beefsteak tomato seeds March 15th. I have them in a container garden potting mix that Mm -hmm. feeds up to nine months. Mm -hmm. They are five to six inches tall. They have three leaves on top and two on the bottom. Mm-hmm. They're holding straight up, but they're very skinny. The stems are very skinny. Mm-hmm. Should I put Miracle Grow on them? And when would be the best time to put them in the garden? Did, did you grow them inside? Did you start them inside? Yes, ma'am. Yes, okay. ma'am. And did you use Miracle Grow throughout uh, growing them or just uh, the soil? No, I. Haven't really put anything on them yet. Well, I think I they're thin. Put- they're thin because of uh, insufficient light, and also temperature. Um, a good tomato growers will let the they'll turn the heat off and let the temperature drop down to uh, near forty degrees, and that hardens off the tomato, gets it good and thick, turns it purple, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's you know. But I is what you've got. I'd put them in the ground, mm-hmm. handle them by the leaves. When you plant them, just let those three leaves barely stick out of the ground. Everything else is going underground. Okay? Oh. All of that will become root system, and they will jump quickly for you. 
Oh, okay. So they're not too skinny to put in the ground right nope, now. Nope, not at all. But you want to handle, you know, you don't want to handle it by the stem because it's really easy to crush those mm-hmm. thin stems. So hold, oh, just, just grab it by the one of the leaves. If you damage it, it isn't going to be a big deal. Make your hole, firm your soil around it. Uh, but again, just barely leave the top of that plant out of the ground. And then just put some. Um, which I put in the bottom of the, the hole, some compost. Yeah, in, anything I... you've got to improve your soil, but you know, not just in the bottom. You want to go more wide than you do deep. You know, you don't really okay. need to dig the hole any deeper than just enough to get that tomato in the ground. But you want to uh-huh. do two and three or four times as wide. You know, yeah. you're going to get uh-huh. out there uh, uh, eight, 12, 18 inches wide, loosen that soil, mix some compost in it, water it in thoroughly, and in about 50 days, you'll have some maters. <laughs> okay, great. All right. They're not too easy to go in. Just nope, not at all. Thank you so much. I enjoy your show. Thanks hey, thanks for, for tuning in thanks. this morning. Thanks, Cheryl. And Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Um, so she was saying to use miracle Grow if that would help. I would grow it too fast right now. Yeah, you know, and there are better fertilizers for your plants. It, it's quick release, okay? It will, if, if, if you've ever seen one of their commercials, you know, they'll show a plant that's been fertilized with miracle Grow versus a plant that hasn't been fertilized at all. Duh. I, I know, mean, that's what I noticed you know, too. <laughs> if you wanted to compare it with another fertilizer, that'd be different, you know. But Mir- miracle Grow is great for stimulating your annual color, uh, for, you know, a quick dose of nitrogen maybe on your, your greens or something. But it's not long-term fertilizer, and there are so many better products that are considerably cheaper when you look at how much you're going to use and get to get the same results. I like for that. I like to use the Fox farm, big bloom. That's a good, yeah, that's a good product to add into your whole thing. And then uh, keep amending your soil as well throughout the season by by just adding some compost. When we get close to the summer, when the heat's going to get really bad, I actually put some compost around each one just to hold the moisture a little longer. And then when you water, the compost turns into like a compost tea and uh, leaches down into the soil where the roots can benefit quicker. Yeah, and I know we got John and David. Y'all hang on just two seconds. But, yeah, I mean, usually I think of three things when I'm thinking about planting tomatoes. One is compost that we just mentioned. Uh, two is lime, making sure the pH is up. Uh, every year around these tomatoes and then the fertilizer and whether it's a water soluble like the big bloom um, or something suitable to that or a granulated uh, non-burning type fertilizer they're all or an organic fertilizer mm-hmm. like tomato tone all of those are great but but compost ph lime and fertilizer can't go wrong right and she said she had gotten a type of soil that feeds for say nine months moment. which could do that but you still need to add compost to your soil yearly or uh, bi-seasonally by yearly <laughs> i'm like what is what's bi-seasonally mean? i know i understand what you're saying <laughs> okay and uh so to keep your soil good and don't just spray with miracle grow all the time because we're trying to use something that keeps your soil healthy that will grow the tomato like its natural rate yeah and reg- a- regular miracle grow i think is a 15 30 15 that's a lot of phosphorus to be doing every year 
mm-hmm. in your garden because, you know, as Kenneth has seen so many times in, in soil tests, phosphorus is always off you the know, chart. Yep. Way too much. What yep, about so. the, um, the nitrogen? Would that be too much as well? Well, no, not really because it's all ammoniacal nitrogen. Okay. And it breaks down so fast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, it, about three days it's done. Because you know how some things you add a lot of nitrogen and their cell walls get less and are thinner and uh, the plants don't perform as well, or the nitrogen takes away and doesn't allow the bloom to form or the, to- the tomato to form. But because remember when it used to be, if you have a fungus in your yard, just feed it, feed it, feed it real good and grow it out of its fungus. Bad thing, Bad thing to do. I'm like, yeah. I've thought about that over and over. I'm going, how that would make everything worse. Yeah, nitrates seems. can actually trigger uh, yeah. fungal activity, oh, especially somebody, if you already have a fungal problem in the, oh, in the yard. I bet you a company that sells, no. Oh, that sells like the high nitrogen fertilizers said <laughs> that you if you do that, then you won't have fungus problems. And then you still do. So they get to sell the fungicide next. It's a theory. <laughs> it's a theory. I have heard of things like that happening, not in big companies, but like people that do the landscaping or the maintenance I've actually heard of them doing one thing to create another thing to create them to come back. It's hard to believe that people aren't on the up and up, right? Right. Oh, so hard. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to John. Good morning, John. You're in the garden. Um, good morning, guys. Hey, uh, John. Hey. Yeah, I, um, here's a problem I have with my tomatoes every year. that the, the They don't seem to be pollinating. I don't have no bees around here. And the, and the yellow buds start falling off. Um, after they open up, and uh, the other problem that I'm that I'm having is is there, is there, the question I want to ask: Is there anything I can um, spray instead of using seven dust or any kind of poisons? Is there anything I can use to put on the plants to keep the bugs from eating the leaves? And well, this is a tomato plant. Yeah, and the buds yes, the buds are turning yellow and falling off. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, there's so many things that can be happening with that, and one could even be soil. Well, yeah, I mean, it, but blooms in particular, you know, you got to have, you know, the tomato will bloom, and then the bloom will pollinate to set the fruit. Uh, if the blooms are falling off, uh, there is a product actually called Tomato Set that you spray directly onto the bloom, and it helps hold that bloom on there long enough to pollinate. Uh, and as far as insects go, I mean, there's tons of really good safe insecticides to use on tomatoes yeah. like neem you yeah whether it's organic or... like neem or pyrethrin or whether it's uh the permethrins which is a synthetic pyrethroid um anything in the permethrin family is very safe to use on your tomatoes john uh and try to spray in the morning or the afternoon you know later on especially don't spray during the heat of the day mm-hmm. uh, keep your tomatoes at try to keep them at a constant moisture as best you can Make sure the pH is up where it needs to be. Feed them like mm-hmm. we were talking about a while ago. But tomato set and a just a good broad-spectrum insecticide, and you should be perfectly fine. Yeah, Jim, it, give us a little rundown well, on that because it, I like to know how to prevent it future. Well, you know, too, if, if, some, if your foliage is disappearing from tomato hornworm or something, then use something like BT. Mm-hmm. It, <clears throat> it's very safe. It's absolutely non-toxic to the bees, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, and, and tomatoes are, are pollinated by bumblebees, not by honeybees. 
So that's, okay. you know, planting some flowers around them to help draw them in is, is a good idea. Uh, oh, if, okay. if you're yeah. having trouble, you know, and just get you some annuals, you know, and spend a couple of bucks, plant some around it, and it will help uh, bring those uh, bumblebees in there to you. But blossom yeah, set is a is a godsend, you know, because particularly when we get into warm nights, tomatoes right. won't set when you mm-hmm. get extremely warm night temperatures. So if you've got to have blossom set if you're going to get any any good tomato sandwiches in August. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, uh, one, one final question. Uh, I love your show. I listen to you every Saturday. What kind of coffee do you recommend me use while I listen to your show? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this this one right here is Kroger. Okay. Let's <laughs> see. What do I have? Uh, Maxwell House. And I, I just got just old Columbia b- breakfast blend. <laughs> <laughs> but I have lots of creamer. Okay. Thank you, John. Thanks, Thanks for the call, John. Yes, um, when I had a vegetable garden, oh, I loved it, and I miss it so bad right now, but I could grow great tomatoes, but I had a lot of organic compost mixed in, so during those five years I had a garden, I had become fortunate not having to uh, spray the blossom in right because all the organic stuff had calcium in it and allowed the calcium to actually be released to the plant. And then calcium, like one of the things that can add to the bloom, is falling off. Well, and then you're right. I mean, Veda, there's what we were talking about, though, was that tomato set, which is actually a hormone that keeps that bloom on there, hopefully long enough to pollinate. And then the Calcium chloride is the the blossom end rot, which is a yeah. whole different thing, you right, know. And right. I, let me tell you a little trick, y'all. If you want to help pollinate them, go get you a can of spray air, and then just mm-hmm. get out there early in the morning when those blossoms have just opened. Point that little trigger up underneath there and just puff them once, and yeah. you'll pollinate them really easily. Well, you know when, it, like you said, when it's <laughs> really not that I don't want you to sell some blossoms. Yeah, yet, right, right. <laughs> well, but when, it works. That's exactly. all that matters. Well, when it was really hot, I wanted to see if I could actually um, make the tomatoes still set. And of course, we know when it's really hot, the pollen stick gets really thick yeah, and heavy. And it yeah. Can't, but I I thumped I thumped all the blooms even and then like late August middle of August started having little tomatoes on there, and so I did it that way which I like the air and situation I, now yeah. that would have been easier than thumping every bloom. Yeah, they they pollinate by vibration uh, with tomatoes, so that's the bees the hunt the bumblebees do that when they get in there they're just shaking their little hineys and they shake all that stuff down and make it and i've heard of people getting the electric toothbrush no tell me that one going out there and 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 just you know like instead of your teeth you're putting Uh this on the stem and vibrating the um the plant that way in different places wow yeah things we come up with so any vibrator would work yes it would was it um your wife's toothbrush? <laughs> I'll never, <laughs> ever say that out loud. All right, we're going to run to a break real quick. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call at 260-5926, or you can post a question on our Facebook. No, yeah, Facebook Live. We're Facebook Live right now. 
So you can uh, be a texter. Yeah, in fact, I've got one from Rebecca Maddox. She said, we live in Bahia, and my neighbor has these tiny little thorny things in her grass, making it very difficult for her dogs to even walk through. She said she looked it up, and she found out it was burrweed, uh, which we, which is sticker, you know, little sticker uh, plants out there. Uh, I have some, uh, but not as many as, as my neighbor does. What is the best way to get rid of them? So burrweed is... If we if we all remember when we were young and barefooted and you run through the yard, especially after these things dry and you get all these mm-hmm. little burrs stuck in oh. the bottom of your foot, uh, a burr all weed, over your socks. Oh, it's horrible. Mm. But they're still considered a broadleaf weed. Okay, so uh, Rebecca, you'd go and tell your neighbor to go out there with a broadleaf weed killer. Uh, you know, weed free zone, weed beater ultra, anything like that. Spray the area down. Talking about the lawn. And then uh, come back, if need be, in 10 days, two weeks, usually two weeks, and reapply it. And you'll kill uh, this broadleaf weed that has this little burr on it, which is what, you know, sticks in the dog's paws and our feet. Yeah. Is, um, that, is that on the label to add a pre-emergent also to keep it from reseeding every year? Well, I like to use a pre-emergent in a lawn regardless. Anyway, I mean, that's yeah. just part of my lawn maintenance. But for any broadleaf weed that's already up and actively growing, uh, surely the the broadleaf weed killer like that weed-free zone uh, would do just fine. So, yeah, get out there. Now, like Jim made a comment, mm-hmm. you've sprayed burr weed before, and even though you kill it, the burr can still be there. Yeah, so it, it doesn't go away dry. overnight, right. right? So this is going to be an ongoing process until you can get it under control. Right. All right, let's go to Jamie, the master gardener. Good morning. Jamie, you're in the garden. Good morning. What a great topic you have going. Hey, Jamie. Good morning <laughs> to you, buddy. <laughs> Don't let people forget about the great tomato contest, July the 16th. But what I wanted to call about is I have so many questions about am I putting too much water on it? Am I not getting enough water right. on it? Yeah, That's you're. Right. I mean, you're so right. And, and, you know, who would ever think that watering, just just watering things could be so, you know, almost scientific, if you will. Absolutely. It can be because, you know, like you said, we all have been guilty of underwatering, Jamie. We've all been guilty of overwatering. But with tomatoes in general, tomatoes, you know, they they like a constant moisture. And, and I can't tell you what that truly means other than we can go out there and whether you're watering, say, really well and letting it air out before you come back and water again, or whether you're putting just a little bit of water on it like every day to every other day. It's whatever suits people the best. But the worst thing you can do is let them dry out, like you're talking about, Jamie, before, and keeping them too wet. So a constant moisture is what tomatoes need. In fact, you know, a lot of times later on when these tomatoes start producing, you'll get this blossom end rot. The bottom of the tomato will start to rot on you. And yes, that can be from a lack of calcium, but that can also be from up and down irregular watering. So I always tell people, Jamie, keep, try your best to keep these things at a constant moisture as best you can, <laughs> regardless of which way you have to do it. Yes, you know, but the first thing they'll say is, my leaves are turning yellow. Yeah. Is that too much water too little water? So I know both. Yeah, well, if yeah. the leaves are turning yellow on the inside, not enough. Okay, okay say that's that what, again. <laughs> Would you say say that again, Veda? If the leaves turn yellow on the inside, on the interior of the plant, yeah, yeah, then that more than likely means not enough. 
but I always say you're always going to find some yellow leaves, especially towards the bottom of the plant. Oh, yeah, always. But that could be early blight. It can be. <laughs> There's some, if people knew, Jamie, how many things could go wrong with tomatoes that never put one in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, but 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 beside that point, we're always going to plant tomatoes though, because we just got to have them. But, oh, absolutely. But it's kind of like you know, starting out. Uh, you know, the keys to success with tomatoes to me is one: you got to find a sunny area. See, a lot of people trying to grow tomatoes where they just don't get enough sun. Right. So now it doesn't have to be all day sun. No, but sunny just enough. Sunny, yeah. At least half a day. You need good, rich, organic-based soil. You know, compost. Add that compost in there. You gotta have that pH up around six and a half. That is a must. So add that lime if you need to. Get the tomatoes, and I like to plant more than one variety. I like to plant two or three different varieties, uh, and then try to keep them at a constant moisture. Don't let them things get bone dry before you water, and don't keep them sloppy, slurry, wet at the same time. Now, <laughs> if we can do all of that, we can have some success with tomatoes. Well, thank you all so much. I thought Beta had said on something we could use there. If the inside is is yellow, then uh, but I don't know if that's scientific or not. But uh, well, I, you I, know, I'm, I'm looking for an answer that I could tell people. Uh, well, when I, it's just like you know, start with the soil. If the soil's good, plenty of sun, air circulation, um, and then spray. I've always sprayed my tomatoes with the um, organic juice, as they say, like a, a worm castings or any of the Fox Farm liquids are great. Uh, so that would be my answer, and um, just keep keep fertilizing with healthy food, and that way it can a lot of times grow itself out. Plus, if you're using a lot of uh, organic matter and spraying the soil and all, then it makes the plant more resistant to fungus or insects as well. So just add that into your whole routine of and, growing And tomatoes. then you get the electric toothbrush later on when it yeah. gets hot. Go out there and stick that thing on that tomato and, and vibrate that tomato and uh, get that pollen moving around. I think that might be the key, too. Well, thank you all so much. We really appreciate it. Y'all y'all are doing a good job, and keep it up. Thanks, Thanks Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. Right. Yes, because he's going to the Great Tomato Contest is in... I uh, said July the 16th. Yeah, so y'all start getting your tomatoes planned for that. Go with the soil. Get your calcium carbonate. For your blossom in rot, what was the other one you were no, talking about? No, you want about? calcium chloride or calcium nitrate. Calcium carbonate is the issue. Ooh, calcium I'm nitrate. I'm glad you corrected that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah lime, <laughs> which is calcium carbonate, is not available in wet soils. Oh, two things. Plant sales that are going on today. UT is on from 7 to 11 this morning in Jackson. And also the strawberry um, Audubon place Humming down in Holly Springs. Strawberry, yeah. strawberry yeah. field. Their uh, native plant sale is today. All right. See you in a minute. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda Vance from Palladio, Memphis. Is that where you are, Miss Veda? I am there a lot. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, you Dan are West. you ever at Dan West? I at Dan West Garden Centers. Um, <laughs> And Mr. Jim Crowder over here. And I'm from a galaxy far, far away. Yes, yeah, he you is. are. <laughs> Don't set us up, Jim. Uh, but if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926. 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text. Like Wendy Johnston did, she said, I have seen powdery mildew already 
on B-bomb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what would be good well, for Well, we all three said, cut it down yeah. and don't let it grow it. back. Let, <laughs> don't let it reflush again. Yeah, yeah B-bomb is, uh, unfortunately, it's very, very susceptible to mildew. We talked about mildew last weekend. But, you know, there are mildew-resistant yes. varieties. Now, that's not proof, but, mm-hmm. you know, it gets... I know how pretty Jacob Klein is. It's yes. such a brilliant red for a Minarda. Okay. But it powdery mildew will find it yep. <laughs> just in no time. So don't plant that one. Right. So y'all got that. <laughs> so what are we saying so, with for Wendy? I mean, you can go out there and, of course, spray a uh, systemic fungicide or any fungicide that has powdery mildew on the label and come back and spray it again, Wendy, in uh, you know, a couple of weeks, and that will help knock that mildew mm-hmm. out. Or if it's already so bad... Then, like Veda and Jim were saying, sometimes you just have to cut them back and let them just reflush. You know, right. yeah, um, it's amazing, y'all. A lot of us are are scared to cut things back, but I have cut so much back and it flushes back out wonderfully. And it's really not a long time to have to go with not seeing it there. But I wonder if Wendy would get any bloom at all if she cut them back now. Probably oh, not. Yeah, oh, I would they'll grow, would. Yeah. Okay, yeah, good. They'll grow so fast. Yeah. They'll yeah. come out. Yeah, bee balm is beautiful, smells great, all kinds of colors. Um, but very I've, susceptible to that, yeah. that mildew. We had some on the shelf that were uh, getting shade from a tree that was in a bucket right next to that area. So I sprayed with the neem and then moved them also so they weren't getting that partial shade. So when I got them out in the more sun, then we stopped with the powdery mildew. So sometimes, because Minardia can grow in some shade, but maybe that shade's causing the powdery mildew. But it's amazing how some plants are just very susceptible. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we've seen a lot of mildew already this mm-hmm. year. Uh, yeah, and know. the thing about powdery mildew, it, it actually doesn't need water on the foliage to germinate. Yes, you're so exactly right. It can, yeah. you know, your foliage, you don't have to have an irrigation system to make it bad. I mean, if you're just growing a plant that's susceptible, it can get mm-hmm. it in the driest of humidities and places. Yeah, yeah, because actually when you say driest of i was reading texas a&m and put this out but it's it's been a little while since i've read it but a lot of times you can get the powdery mildew because plants are too dry and they were probably meaning yeah anytime a plant is not in optimal conditions it's it's um, likely to have other issues plant plant, insects and diseases like to attack plants that are already sickly sure exactly yeah it's much easier kill yeah, yeah, because it's kind of stressed like, and know. something's going to jump on well, it. Well, y'all were mentioning aphids uh, in the first hour. Had a customer bring by a sample of an evergreen clematis, and I've never in my life seen as many aphids on a sample, ever. <laughs> I mean, this thing was... Did was, you run out to Poplar <laughs> and go, don't let <laughs> him in my take it back out and This car. guy was scratching his head like, what in the heck do I have here? It was just aphids, I mean, but it was on there by the millions, I'm telling you. And aphids love, you know, tender, mm-hmm. new growth. And like Jim was just saying, aphids also not only love new growth, but they, you know, plants that are usually weak or anemic for whatever reason are much more susceptible to insects and disease than ones that are, you know, not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but in this, go, go ahead. No, because like in this case, since it grew the, the tender <clears throat> new growth, it right. made it easier for the aphids to be there. Uh, I would like spray everything with water, like try to get the ends and you're just, exactly right, yeah. Beta. And then fertilize again to make it not with nitrogen, just fertilize again to give it some extra food to take up 
to make it more resistant. Well, and what I was going to say is if you have aphids and you go out there and check your plants, whether it's new bedding plants you've put out there, whether it's a you know new growth on roses, vines, whatever. I've seen even seen them on new growth on roses this year. You can get the water hose out and just blast them really good and then come back and spray with a, just a generic broad-spectrum insecticide. But like when Jim was saying a while ago, you know, they're like little, you know, copying machines. They can mm-hmm. duplicate themselves pretty quick is you need to spray and wash more than just one time. Um, so give them a good spray in, uh, come back in about uh, a week, 10 days, do it again. And I like to say come back in another week or 10 days and do it a third time uh, because you have to break that reproductive cycle when it comes to some of these insects because they reproduce so fast. So Make your rounds and just have an eye. Look out for those aphids because they're out there. And like I said, I, I've never seen as many on a, cl- a climbing clematis or evergreen clematis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it was already mutated. The plant I, oh, was already, really? yeah, it was already twisting. And uh, I've just, it was horrible, I'm telling you. There's a lot of aphids on this specimen. And I guess it was just growing so quickly and rapidly because I really never hear of anything on the evergreen clematis, any issues. Yeah. Because the leaf is so strong and glossy. and Well, you get that new growth and aphids love it. And then we heard where we had some damage this winter on some evergreen uh, clematis out there. But, you know, we had winter damage on a lot of different Mm -hmm. things, you know, that we usually didn't or don't. Now, what, three years ago when we got down to eight or so, I lost my evergreen clematis, huge one, been there for a number of years, you know, had a pretty good sized trunk on it, but it split right at the bottom. Oh, I see. It split. Yeah, because I remember like years and years and years back that the thing was that evergreen clematis might not be as hardy here. I guess when it was colder, but now... Yeah, no issues. And they're so beautiful and they really, really are evergreen. And so fragrant. Oh, that's right. They They're are extremely fragrant. Great plant. And one of the one of the perennials that has have that have done really well this year uh, have been the peonies or the peonies. Um, you know, and when mm-hmm. those things are blooming, everybody in the world wishes they had them. You know, and uh, you know it's one of those things where there's always been this garden myth mm-hmm. that you know if you see ants on your peonies or peonies, you know, leave them alone because the ants have got to be there for this thing to bloom. You know, that's not the case at all, uh, if you've ever heard that. Uh, Does somebody want to sell sell you some spray? (laughs) Well, no, they're saying leave the ants alone. because Yeah, Yeah. because the ants have got to be on the buds for these things to actually open up and bloom. sorry, I was phasing out. So it was a mutual (laughs) symbiotic relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Well, that's not the case. I mean, ants are only there because you're getting this nectar Mm -hmm. from this bud, uh, which is a sugary-like substance, and, of course, that draws the ants in, and that's always been one of the complaints is, how do I get ants off of my peonies? Well, I'm thinking it's good because it'll keep the ants on the peonies and not on other my house. Yeah, you know, and maybe it'll keep the aphids off the peonies because you got ants they, on there. But they're not hurting your peonies or your peonies, mm-hmm. however you want to say it. Not at all. Uh, but a lot of people think they got to go out there and spray to kill the ants or they got to leave the ants alone because you got to have the ants on there for these things to open up and bloom. No. You know, they're mm-hmm. only there because of the nectar. That's the only reason those ants are on them. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's it's one of those things where it's almost synonymous that if you have yeah. peonies or peonies, mm-hmm. you're going to have ants on mm-hmm. there. So just be prepared.
you got to be careful when you're clipping them and bringing them indoors well, sometimes. Well, a lot of people, they'll just, uh, when they take them inside, they'll just dip it down in water. Mm-hmm. You know, the ants are going to float off of right. it. And then you just pull the plug and down the drain they go, you know, or wash them mm-hmm. off. But uh, peonies are, they are great perennials. And I'm telling you, when those things are blooming, uh, they're truly beautiful. Now, one thing to keep in mind when you do buy a peony i say i always used to say peony and this I woman almost slapped me because yeah. i said peony I she said you know it's too. a penny i must know. she must have got me too then like uh, but <laughs> i'm gonna say peony um that <laughs> if if you plant them you know they they're again they're 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 long term so you know more sun than shade uh you know really worked organic matter in the soil and you know the first year or two you you, you still can get some bloom but not prolifically uh, but once they are established, and it can take a year or two to become truly established, uh, you'll be rewarded with tons of blooms on these mm-hmm. things. So, uh, and as always, do not plant them too deep. You mm-hmm. want it. To, I mean, you want it just about the same soil level it is that it was in the container. Yeah, you exactly because if you do plant them too deep, they're not going to mm-hmm. bloom. Which is you know kind of like some of the daffodils that we see people plant too deep. You know, there you get beautiful foliage, but no bloom. And it could be a, something as simple as yeah. this thing is just planted too deep. You know? Amazing. Amazing. Um, but, you know, it's like we're saying tomatoes, you can plant deeper. And then peonies don't plant so no. deep. And then clematis, didn't you say you could plant clematis? Clematis is one of the two plants other than tomatoes that I will plant deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I if never. you get that when you buy it in a, in a pot. Put about three or four inches of that underground. Uh, that will all become root system. And you'll also see that you'll have less issue with um, the uh, stem canker mm. uh, by getting that down. And also, if you can plant something to cover that. You know, vines vines don't, they grow through stuff and get up on top and canopy in full sun. So they have evolved to grow up through a shady area. That lower stem needs to be shaded by something if you can, uh, and you'll get much better bloom off of it, um, and you'll have less issue with the stem canker. If you're having a canker, any good rose spray will will usually take care of it. Just stay on top of it. It won't kill your plant. It just kicks it back and then has to start over. You're talking on the clematis. On the clematis, yeah. 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 And so, that's when they when they, they say the foot needs to be shaded. Mm-hmm. The foot of the plant, they mean... You know the lower part of right. this vine because that's the way a vine grows. You know most most all vines are full sun loving plants, but mm-hmm. they don't get there. It's like wisteria; they don't get there until they're they, they grow through of the top old. of the tree. Right? right. I always thought it, that vines were just smart enough to hide in bushes because you don't go in there and try to pull them out mm-hmm. because you don't know they're there. Okay, we're going to run to a break. I've got to come up with some gardening questions. I know you have some. And, of course, that'll change our topic if you're tired of listening to our topics. And call us at... You can't possibly be tired of listening to our topics. This is very true. so good at what we do. (laughs) 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 260-5926. Give us a call. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Um, you know, you were posting on your Facebook your Facebook page, Jim, <laughs> the spider that has the big egg sack that they carry around. Oh, what yeah. are you, what, yeah, big what are you even... The wolf spider. Where are we yeah. going? We're going to where the first time I saw that, 
whew, that was creepy, so alien. And I'm just looking <laughs> at it going, what is that? Before why she is... just stomps on yeah. it. Yeah, my my wife it? was weeding last weekend, and mm-hmm. this little thing came out from underneath the plants and you know, stood on the rock in front of her, like challenging her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> And, uh, oh, and of course, it you know she's not terribly scared of him, but she mm-hmm. did. Uh, what did startle her? You know, when that spider that size yeah. comes running out at you, right? Exactly, you know, and challenges the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Boy, that... But yeah, it was uh, got some good close up pictures of that one. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, but that's, I, a, that's a wolf spider. But you know, unless yeah. it's a brown recluse or a black widow, typically around mm-hmm. here, you know, spiders aren't you know they're a nuisance, right. but they're not going to hurt anything. They surely not going to hurt us. Yeah. They, um, they take care of some insects they do. as well. So I'm just telling her to get back under the bushes so I can't see but you. It's, yeah. <laughs> and but it's then do your thing. Something about snakes and spiders, I'm telling you. I mean, mm-hmm. and most of the snakes around here, mm-hmm. you know, they're non-poisonous. Now, there are some that are, of course. Uh, just like there are a few spiders around here, but we want to class them all into one group. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see a spider, they need to be dead. If you see a yeah. snake, it definitely needs to be dead, right? Well, uh, but they poisonous. do good things for us. Yeah. But that's my point. We group them all into, hey, that's one a poisonous scary, snake. Yeah. yeah, one scary <laughs> snake. First, just a reminder, everybody, that all snakes are protected in the state of Tennessee. Mm, well, Even copperheads, which even I think copperheads, so. Yes. Jim, that, uh, so if you're standing on one well, let me tell you and how, you can't run fast, <laughs> I'm going to have to. We sell the the blow-up snakes. You know, you can mm-hmm. blow this thing up and put it in the garden, and it's supposed to be kind of a is a, a natural repeller, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a snake. True story. For lady, birds. Yeah, yeah for birds. <laughs> uh, a lady brings it in, and it, it has been chopped up with a hoe. Uh-huh. Because the yard man showed up, and he sees this thing down there in the garden uh, and thinks it's a real snake. So, Jim, you're talking about being protected <laughs> you know, this thing was cut up, and, and but they wanted another one, okay? <laughs> Good. Yeah. They wanted, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, I got you now. I'm back. <laughs> um, we have a caller that would like to know how to treat lace bugs on azaleas. He's tried neem oil, but are there other more permanent solutions? Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to lace bug in particular which is a little winged insect that affects our azaleas. It gets on the underside of the leaf, always on the underside of the leaf, and it sucks the green chlorophyll out of the the foliage. So uh, especially as as summer progresses uh, and it it gets hotter and drier, it seems like the more lace bug potentially damage we see on azaleas. Um, So with that lace bug always being on the underside of the leaf, I always like to use a systemic insecticide because I know that if I'm using a systemic insecticide I don't necessarily have to spray under every leaf to kill every lace bug I can just spray the azalea down the leaf will absorb the product so I still kill the lace bug without actually hitting the lace bug so I would say uh, if I'm spraying for lace bug on azaleas I'm the first choice is going to be a systemic insecticide and that's either going to be a spray that I spray mm-hmm. or a systemic drench that I mix and pour on the root system. Right. I think that's the best way to get rid of lace bug. And uh, mm. there are some situations that you keep getting the lace bug and you spray and it comes back every year or you use a systemic. Well maybe something in the environment's wrong. We had a situation where it was just your regular azaleas that 
not the encores because they like more sun, but your regular azaleas. Getting that, too much sun. Yeah, it, they were getting way too much sun on that mm-hmm. end. So we dug them up and moved into the shady area, mm-hmm. fertilized it really good, and it eventually grew out of that problem and did not have that problem anymore just because the fact that they were getting too much sun. Oh, absolutely. But then sometimes you can look at plants and just look at them, um, not like testing soil and all that, and see no environmental reason why lace bugs should be there on the plant. So a lot of times maybe changing environment doesn't help, but I, I always try that well, first. Well, you're right. I mean, Encore Azalea, as you mentioned that, they can take all really all the sun you want to give them, and they're fine. But you get the old-fashioned traditional but even azaleas. Those, even Encores can be, as you've seen from the ones planted in front of this station that I did, yeah. uh, they are lace bug magnets yeah. in the sun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but especially mm-hmm. traditional azaleas that are getting way too much sun, more than they should be getting, they are definitely more susceptible to, to lace bug. And then azaleas that are just packed in there too tight, azaleas that are uh, actually have overhead irrigation that stay pretty wet, Yeah, you know, they're prone to lace bug. But you're right. I mean, you want to try to keep the azaleas as healthy as you can. Uh, water is needed. Feed them really good after they bloom. But I still, to answer the question, though, I still like to use a systemic in particular when it comes to these dang lace bugs. And they'll make, I mean, they can make green azaleas look white-leafed. Yeah, they do. They can totally do that. Well, and also on the neem, because we were talking about it last week, because they took the azaractan out of it, basically. That was the best uh, insect insecticide. So that's probably why he's not having well, great you, results. You, you know, neem really works by smothering the insect. Yeah. Okay. You almost never turn over a leaf and see right. a lace bug. They fly away too quick. So. Mm-hmm. You know, if you sprayed it thoroughly to dripping with neem right now, in a few minutes you could go out there and catch one. And they penetrate such a small part, uh, such a a small piece of tissue, they're not going to ingest anything even Mm -hmm. really that's on the surface. Yeah. Uh, So you really need to go with uh, either the the, uh, systemic, like acephate, once every four weeks or so, or do the imidacloprid once in early spring and you won't have to fool with it. The drench. And then the permanent cure is just move them out of the sunlight and put them Mm -hmm. in the shade. So there. So there. (laughs) And we're saying, and of course, one thing that does happen in gardening, and I have to say that I'm kind of guilty of it too, where I could have changed the environment, but that would have been such hard work to do that. So I, you know, I would spray and fertilize to make it able to handle that environment a little better. Well, but we also see where people have all the right intentions and they'll have their landscape really the way they want it. Mm -hmm. And then for whether it's through a storm or old age or they lose a tree, okay? Mm -hmm. And then the next thing you know, what used to be your beautiful shade garden that you had hostas and zayas Mm -hmm. all over the place, now it's a full sun, baking sun area because the tree is gone. You know, and sometimes it's just not practical to think you can go out there and move some of these well-established azaleas mm-hmm. that you've had there for years. So you almost have to learn to live with some of the potential problems that come up with that. Yeah. And knowing that, you know, there again, you're going to have some mm-hmm. problems down the road. Well, azaleas are uh, really diligent on trying to grow, actually. We had one time we had a job where their azaleas were 10 feet tall, had never, ever, ever had anything done to them. 
uh, it was a beautiful landscape like 15 years ago, mm. but everything had grown up and the azaleas were growing in each other. And then there was a long stem out here trying to get some light. There were, it was just a mess. There was no pruning those to make them look good. But, and the, the trunks were like an inch, oh, yeah. two inches on it. We cut, every, I said, there's no way we're cleaning. I'm just cutting these straight down. I cut them down to like four feet, three feet. There was really nothing left but some trunks just, just sticking trunks. up, really. And, and the uh, client was about wanting to fire me because they think I trashed their azaleas. I said, you've got to just wait a couple of months. And I said, they're going to flush out. It may take another year or so to get them bigger. But they did. They've just flushed out great. But it looks really scary when you take somebody's azaleas down to the ground. And, and yeah, I guess there's always risk. And I know we got to go to a break here in a second. But I know there's risk involved when you're starting cutting well-established shrubs back that far. But sometimes mm-hmm. I'd just soon do that and see what happens than mm-hmm. just dig them up, throw them away. That was the case. Yeah. Okay, we're running to a break real quick. Give us a call, 260-5926, or post a question on our Facebook Live. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all are with us this morning. Give us a call, 260-5926. If you don't want to talk on the radio, just call and leave a message uh, with Claire, and she'll put it over here, and we can help you that way. Yeah, and you can also shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and if you ever want to go back and listen to any of this nonsense that we do, <laughs> but have a great time doing it. Mr. Jim, uh, kwamradio.com, you can always go back and listen to the podcast. And invite you to join our Facebook group if you're not a member, please. You do have to answer the questions to get in, and that's just to make sure that uh, you don't post anything that doesn't belong to you. Yeah, and also, that's right, Jim, uh, with Mother's Day being tomorrow, uh, support your local garden centers. Palladio's right there mm-hmm. on Central. Of course, Dan West on Poplar Avenue and Highway 64. You go find everything you need for the mother, uh, the, yeah. especially the gardening-type mother, whether it's hanging baskets, you know, annuals, perennials. Uh, Veda's just, mm-hmm. it's the perfect place to shop, and you can find great deals mm-hmm. also right before yeah, Mother's Day. You can. So, yeah. Tools, every mother day, every mother's, no. Don't give your wife a Korean hand hoe for Mother's yeah. Day. It will not go over well or a mop. It's called a hori hori knife. Yeah. You know why it's called hori hori knife? She loves mine. She took mine away from me. Oh, because yeah. it's really cool. It's one of her favorite tools. But they call it that because it's the sound that it makes when it goes through the soil. Hori, hori, hori. Never heard that before in my life. (laughs) It's a Japanese thing. I was reading about it because hori, hori, nice from the Japanese. So I wondered, uh, because I wanted to talk about this on a a video that I'm going to do, or I do, for Instagram. And I was like, well, you know, what's some more interesting things about this? So I looked it up and I don't think it was where they were digging in dirt. They were doing something in the sand. So it was kind of like a scraping noise. Maybe. And they interpreted it as the hoary hoary knife. But there's some good, I mean, I tell you what, any job is so much easier if you mm-hmm. do have the right tools. Yeah. Oh, wait, I got to say one thing. That was a Southern way to pronounce the hoary hoary knife. I don't know how the Japanese say it, but I'm sure it's much prettier than how I say it. Well, you know, we get the gist of it. Yes, okay. Um, you know, so we've talked about kind of a recap, the uh, the peonies or peonies, you know, with the ants and everything, and ants are not a problem. Uh, Japanese maples in, in particular that have flushed out, and then now they're starting to die because of the 
the damage that was done to them, you know, this prior winter, you know, that really week of really cold that we had. But it's not just the cold, it's the cold and the thawing and the cold and the thawing that we were talking about uh, that can cause a lot of the damage. And then, of course, the aphids, you know, and, and lace bug. I mean, the insects are out there in force, no doubt. But there's always typically a, a particular or a, uh, a broad spectrum insecticide that will control most of the insects that we that we come in contact with or that we have a problem with. Uh, and another thing, uh, Vade and Jim, that I'd written down last night was, you know, the arbovitas. And so many people, when you mention the word arbovita, they, they almost run from you because mm-hmm. they've, some, somebody's always had a bad experience with an arbovita, trying to get one to grow. Um, but it, that's a whole other story because, you know, you need good drainage. Uh, you know, you typically need more sun than shade. Uh, and it's usually a watering thing when it comes to people killing arbovitas, quite honestly. Uh, it, it, because it seems like that first year that you plant an arbovita, uh, and, and hopefully you planted it right to start with. <laughs> Let's just start yeah. there. You know, digging the hole just as deep, twice as wide, amending the soil, creating good drainage, uh, getting it planted. Always plant with the root ball a little above grade and then berm up to it. But it seems like Jim invaded that that first year they are really finicky when it comes to moisture and what i would do is plant it right uh and the way i like to water them is to really soak them when you water them i mean soak it soak that root ball but let it air out before you come back and soak it again in other words i'm making sure that it doesn't completely dry out especially through that first summer Mm -hmm. but i'm also making sure that i'm not keeping this thing just sloppy wet and we see both ends of the spectrum but if you do want to plant arbovitas, uh, just kind of a, a rundown on the different varieties. If you want a arbovita that's only going to get, and the reason I, I wrote this down last night, I had a lady bring me a picture mm-hmm. of her house. Beautiful home, okay? And they planted two dwarf arbovitas on either side of the door, okay? In a bed. Oh, yeah. And those two died the first summer. Okay, so there again, were they not planted right or were they just not being watered correctly? But they died. So the same company that planted those two came back out, pulled those out of the ground and planted two more. (laughs) Well, the two more that they planted, instead of being dwarf, wind up getting about 25 foot tall. Right. Okay. okay, so they were not so a dwarf. No, so she had somebody come in the other day and dig those out because they've just gotten too big for what she wanted, correct? So she's going to come back and put the Holstrup uh, arbovitas in there that only get about seven foot tall. It is a true dwarf arbovita. So if you're looking for arbovitas, y'all, keep these in mind. The Holstrup will get five to seven foot. It's a dwarf. And then the, you know, there's always the North Pole and the Emerald Green, which are almost the same arbovita. Uh, The North Pole arbovita gets uh, 10 to 15 foot tall, three to five foot wide, about three foot wide. Uh, to five foot wide. It's a little uh, more narrow than the emerald green arbovita. Yeah. Very similar. I love the... <clears throat> the North Pole yeah. arbovita. Uh, so you've got the uh, the Holstrup, then you've got the emerald green or the North Pole <clears throat> arbovita, and then you've got the green giant. And I tell you, the green giant arbovita, it's almost like the replacement of the Leland Cypress. Yeah. If you that, think about it. Yeah. Because it's, it's a very fast-growing uh, arbovita. It, it, you can, if you plant quite a few of those on a, on a property line, you can create a green wall 
if you will, uh, and they'll get oh up to thirty foot tall. Mm-hmm. So you know, and we don't plant the Leland cypress like we used to for the canker disease and you know all the right reasons. So if you, all I'm saying is, if you ever want to buy or, or plant an arborvita, first of all, get the one for that spot. Yeah, plant it the right way. And make sure that you do pay attention to the moisture, especially that first summer. And if you do all that, they're not hard to grow. It's just a misnomer that people think mm-hmm. they are. Right. Yeah, we had planted a, um, the Holstrom in a flower bed or in a landscape bed. And uh, the client calls and says the one on the corner is just dead as can be. We went out there and looked, and the irrigation pipe had busted right under it. Oh, great. So, yeah, so that it was just keeping the moisture there. And so, mm-hmm. yes, it um, was getting too much water. But then the, the other thing, this is what happened, though. The whole irrigation ended up busting. And even in the front flower, we just planted everything. Front flower beds, we come back about three weeks later, four weeks later, this is when we discover there's the busted pipe. The problem with the irrigation yeah. underground. Right. So then um, the guys were going to go over to the other bed and mulch. And so when they stepped in the bed, they sunk. So it had th- all this new stuff had been sitting in water. So we actually lifted everything out wow. because it was new, put it in buckets, um, added more compost to that soil, waited for it to dry, and put everything back in, and it worked. But we had had pulled it out before the roots and the air and all the um, oxygen had left the soil for the roots to grow. So everything was good mm-hmm. because we got mm-hmm. it out in time. Well, and then, you know, we always talk about how if you plant the same plant, which I love the look now of a mm-hmm. line of arborvitaes as a green wall. I right. love that look, but... You know, if you get spider mites in there, you can get them on all of them. If you get mm-hmm. bagworms in there, you can get them on all of them. So you got to be aware. Yeah, so one start, thing can exactly. wipe. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to be aware of that. One of the reasons that I have to spray so seldom in my garden is because I have so many different things. Mm-hmm. There's just not much there. Other, You know, I have lots of different varieties of hostas and lots of different varieties of deciduous azaleas. But, you know, there's not great numbers of anything that will mm-hmm. support spider mites or or that. So I have very little trouble. And, and I do, as, as you all have already talked about this morning, you know, try to once a week or so spray the, fo- spray the foliage down fairly vigorously. And you'll get rid of a huge amount of your Spray insects. it with what, Jim? Water. Just, yeah. 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 Just yeah. take the water hose and squirt it down when I'm watering. Man. So. Well, speaking of arborvitis, I'm trying to find the one. I ordered one... Or a couple, and I think it was called Tall Boy. Tall Boy. I mean, there's... Yeah. Well, that sounds like a dwarf. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so um, I know. I'm like thinking, because they're, they're talking about it's thinner. Mm-hmm. I guess when you think of a tall person, I don't know. So it's thinner, but it still gets tall. Not as big as the Leland Cypress and, and all of those, but... It's, oh, I can't remember the whole part about the tall boy. I think I'm calling it right, but I'm gonna. I want to try that one out because it seems a little thin. And I love them. Better. And like I said, I think there's a misnomer in Cheryl Hangon. I think there's a misnomer that they're hard to grow because mm-hmm. they're really not if they're done correctly. And then, like I said, that first year, guys, you just gotta make sure you take and care I think of the that's, moisture. That's a perennial problem. And personally, I think. Most people don't give them enough water in July, August, mm-hmm. and September. Yes, sir. Uh, for right. their life, they are not a low water demand plant like um, other Hollies conifers so are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like so, Blue Point juniper. Yeah, junipers. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can. You know, if they get dry, they'll get spider mites, but they'll mm-hmm. survive. 
but you you let uh, you let an arborvitae get dry in in July and August, and it's going to be toast pretty mm-hmm. quick. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember when I think this was like nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety. You were like somewhere. three. Yeah, I was like three, and um, everybody, <laughs> everybody would plant the arborvitaes right up against the house, but people would call those graveyard plants because they used to plant arbovitas in graveyards to divide a divider. This was in central Texas, so I don't know if it was a Texas thing. But they, but a number of people would say, I don't want those graveyard plants. Yeah, mm-hmm. see, but I love them. I, mean, I really think they're nice, but I just want to tell people mm-hmm. that, you know, there are some certain things that you need to do. You need to do it the right way if you want to be successful because it's, it is frustrating when you, when you plant these things. you got five of them planted in a row or, or whatever the number is. And then you got two or three of them that are dying. The other ones look fine. Mm-hmm. Well, why are these dying and the other ones are fine? Right. Yeah, we can talk more about that after this break. And Cheryl, you hang on through this break and we'll get you after. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us this morning. Um, let's go to Cheryl. Good morning, Cheryl. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Uh, good morning. Hey, Cheryl. I, my first, I, I, it's about trees. My first one question is about a walnut tree. It's okay. uh, probably about 15 years old. was mm-hmm. actually planted as a small tree. Mm-hmm. It's now maybe 15 feet, 20 feet high. Yeah. It's in a full sun area. Got grass around it. The drainage is relatively good. It's on like a incline or a decline, but water comes from the property above it to that tree. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's had in the past few years like the spider-like looking webs on it. Mm-hmm. It still gets good produce. It makes big green, you know, walnuts that fall down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very slow to bud out this year. And, but I don't know if walnut trees, if that's generally, they do that. Do they yeah. green up slowly? Yeah, mm-hmm. they do. Pecans, uh, walnuts I, are one of the last ones to sprout in the spring. Yeah, okay. that's how they. That's how some of the um, old-time gardeners would know when we were past the bad weather is finally the walnuts and pecans we're putting out because they're, they're the last thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it actually looked pretty good then except periodically i guess like with all trees i get little bitty dead limbs and mm-hmm. it's just yeah. break out yeah and then the, so. the the webs on the uh tree too that those are fine you know it's the what is it not the tent caterpillars the, the tent caterpillars okay. the spring one that has the tent in 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 a crotch of a limb when you get the ones out at the ends of the limbs those are fall those are web worms mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, they do it at the. It's more at the end of the year because they're big yeah. Ones okay, so you, yeah, you see them in hickories and and yeah. pecans and walnuts yeah. and and but, again they do little damage. Right. You know, uh, the okay. the season has progressed so far that you've got a lot of carbohydrates already stored in the trees. Um, there are some things that you can do to get rid of them, but it's probably not affecting your crop significantly. Big deal. Yeah. Okay. So what do I need to do? I was thinking it was looking bad because of all that going on. Uh, but like I said, it still appears to have good produce. So yeah. what do I do to take care of it, to feed it, to well, help it, it out? Well, you said it, it, there's lawn around it? 
grass mm-hmm. up under yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And is that lawn being fertilized? No. Okay. <laughs> then I would do that. You know, it'll get enough fertilizer from your lawn food to to do quite well. Now remember though that the the most active feeder roots are at your drip line and about twenty five feet or so out from that. So yes. don't put the fertilizer up underneath the tree. Well, you can to feed the grass. But well, not, to feed the grass. Yeah. But if you're focusing on the tree, you want to start at the drip line and go outwards. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, my intention is going to be to cover the grass with light mulch or with. Uh, well, like, garden. yeah, that's right. Let some water and stuff through, but still start holding the grass down. Yeah, okay. and you don't have to do that, Cheryl, but you surely can take that grass out from under this walnut. Or like Jim's saying, you can just die on its own anyway. Yeah, yeah well, eventually. <laughs> or you can just get a you know a good high nitrate lawn food, like a 2404 or 2408, something similar to that. Put it out there on your lawn. Uh, and by you know, as you are feeding your lawn, you're indirectly feeding this tree also. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, my next question is about the peach and the plum tree. Mm-hmm. They're still relatively small. They're about the same age, probably about 15 years old. And as far as I can tell, they really haven't. They they seem to maybe put out some blooms every once in a while, but they really haven't produced in the last few years okay um first they thing look pretty they get green foliage on them okay but. take a look at the trunk first okay look for pinholes look for fray looks like sawdust coming out of a hole look for sap particularly right now coming out of that on peaches and plums jim yes uh it can be one of a couple of things. It can be uh, turpentine, uh, not turpentine, um, <laughs> ambrosia yeah, beetles. Uh, it can be lesser peach tree borers. And if they're dis- inside there, they're, they can disrupt enough tissue that the plant won't focus on producing fruit. It just focuses on producing leaves. Okay, and if it gets enough damage, then the tree you start having limbs die out of. And, and they're both pretty susceptible to. Yes, yeah. they are. That's one the of the borders. things that makes it hard to grow them here. Yeah. The other thing is, are they being shaded by anything? If they are, that will significantly decrease your crop. Right, pruning also makes a difference as well. Yeah. If you're pruning like uh, where you open it up on the inside, so more light and more air movement can happen as well. Okay, if they're still getting, I don't know, I mean, how much sun do they have to get? Minimum eight hours. Minimum eight hours of direct, uninterrupted sun. Because they are probably within 20 feet of an oak tree, but they're set so the sun comes up east and west. It's not blocked. Right, okay. North and south that it's blocked. Take a look at take a look at the shape of the tree and see if it appears to be growing away from that oak. It doesn't have to be under it and shaded by it to get the effects of it. So it, if it you, is not. They're both, you know, pretty trees. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. And then what about the pollination, Jim, on the, the peach and the plum? Even though I know a lot of them are, some of them on the peaches in particular are self-pollinating. They are self-pollinating, and most plums are somewhat self-pollinating, but you always get better production with a second tree. 
So you might consider adding that. Right. Um, yeah. And then fertilize them. That's what I was about to say. What kind of fertilizer or have you given it any later? Because what I'm thinking is, you know, roots intertwine with each other. Like you're under the big, uh, close to the oak tree and the roots go out really far. And then you've got your fruit trees that are around the same area. Would that tree pull nutrients and water away? Well, obviously, it's competing with it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. So. Yeah, some com- I put compost all around it all the time, and uh, water with like, you know, a root stimulator, anything just to stimulate the soil, uh, because we want to make it kind of the soil needs to be like the forest floor, basically, just rich and humus and all kinds of nutrients. And we get that by adding compost to it. But it could okay. be and all those things are great, Cheryl. But I'm telling you, if you if you have room to put another uh, pe- uh, peach out there and or another plum or both, uh, honestly, the, ideally, I think you're going to get better pollination and better fruit production if that happens. Okay, would the same things pretty much apply to an apple tree? Yeah, same yeah. Now things. there, you're going to have to have a pollinator. Yeah. Okay, and it sounds I like have you've no got idea what type of tree it is. I mean, what type of apple tree? Well, usually, if you get another apple, it doesn't have to be the same variety, Cheryl. Yeah. If they're going to pollinate, if it's red, get something golden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're okay. <laughs> yeah, that works great. Good way to think of that. Yeah, because it's producing apples, but they they don't taste good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but fruit trees, fruit trees, I'm telling you, they're challenging here in the Mid South. I mean, they couldn't pick, pick a worse place to grow. Right, in. and it yeah. may take a little while after you change the situation for them to do the fruit again. But we're going to run off to a break, and then we're going to start our third hour with you, wonderful gardeners. We'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us this morning. And we love being here with you as well. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden in Memphis. I'm Kenneth Mabry with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, and I'm tired. <laughs> I did not want to get up this morning, you know. I told Jim I've never heard him say that before I in my know, life. that's what I'm saying. What? I, you know, did a lot of physical work for me yesterday, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go back home and take a nap. There's nothing like moving. Nothing like it. I know. No, yeah. I pulled into the cove last night, and I've got a neighbor uh, that was moving in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I pull in, and he kind of waves at me, and I kind of wave at him, so I'll go over there and introduce myself to him. And uh, I'm thinking— oh, you, Did he start moving out? Well, he would know he's— <laughs> no. Oh, if he only knew. <laughs> so, and I'm dead tired. I'm like, you know, after I introduced myself, I said, man, can I help you, you know, move any of these boxes? And thank goodness he said, no, I'm, I'm in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> like, You're like, good, because I'm not right now. Yeah. but <laughs> I was, so nice. But I was it? ready to give the guy a hand. And, of course, I looked over to my right, and his uh, carport was just full of boxes. Oh. And I didn't even look in the truck to see what was left. So I just turned around and walked back out, you know. But you're off today. i got a bunch in the attic that need to come down the stairs. So if you if, want to if come If you over. only knew what my <laughs> wife had planned for me today. Hey God, yesterday, what about yesterday? I, I don't know what was well, happening. It was great. <laughs> I, I did mean, like. Had to go in the attic 
It was oh, the perfect right. day. <laughs> See, there oh, he goes thinking about be, himself. Going to be yeah. 90s all this next yeah. week. Gee. I know. What happened? What Was rain predicted for yesterday? I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, I missed that Claire's somehow, in there shaking so. her head like everybody knew but you How? and I, Veda. I know. Okay. Well, anyway, I did enjoy it. Uh, but the wind then kicked up, too, so the hanging baskets. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was cool. cool. I thought um, maybe I should take some stuff in, only because it's not going to get too cold for it. Mm-hmm. But the wind was, was beating it up. And then there's some kind of tender plants that are greenhouse grown. And then we put them outside in that type of weather. It was stressing them. So we put a few things inside. Yeah, we were grabbing all the hanging baskets, the petunia hanging yes, baskets in particular, and getting them inside, uh-huh. you know, because you don't, you know, it, yeah, the weather's fine. And the geranium hanging baskets. Right, and you don't want them just getting waterlogged, and then the blooms just kind of shrivel up, yeah. right? So we were running stuff in, running stuff back out. I mean, it's crazy all Gosh, day I yesterday. Miss that. <laughs> no, I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm sure you do. But now is, now, but then... We were talking about seasons last last week, how I like the four seasons. And you said, well, <laughs> fall only has two days. You call that a season? Well, here we go yeah. with spring. It's summer next week. Yeah, but fr- it's going to drop. I had a friend one time who bought a convertible. He said, I wouldn't have bought it if I'd known that there are only about two weeks in Memphis <laughs> you can use it. Yes, <laughs> this is, that's a good point. Yeah, and then, you know, we go from, I mean, here it is May, honestly. Yesterday you had a a vest on. I mean, because mm-hmm. it was a wet and windy and a little chilly. And then you look at the weather next week, you know, I saw some mid 90s, mm-hmm. almost 100. I'm thinking, almost 100. <laughs> hey, anytime it's mid 90s to me, that's almost 100. Okay. So well, everybody been, buckle up and get ready. Right. But it is, go- I'm, I'm saying, like, I'm the weather forecaster, but surely it's going to drop back down to normal. Yeah. Well, surely said. Surely in Memphis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it will. But anyway, that's just how come we're good gardeners in the Mid-South because we have to deal with so many different types of weather in one season. Good thing. In one week. Yo, that's true. <laughs> one week. Hey, we've even had it in two days before. But it was, it was you know, yesterday, I mean, and today, honestly, and even tomorrow, with tomorrow being Mother's Day, and happy oh. Mother's Day to everyone oh. out there, including you, Miss Veda, is... People feel like they've got to get some stuff done, if nothing else, just for Mother's Day, right? Mm -hmm. So they were out in the weather yesterday regardless. Thank goodness they were, you know? I mean, and I've never seen so many people shop in the rain and Mm -hmm. run inside when it starts raining heavier, run back outside Mm -hmm. when it's, you know, not raining as bad, just getting their stuff, knowing that they've got to get some stuff done before tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was two days ago it was raining pretty good. And I looked out the the door to the front courtyard at the garden center, and there was a lady standing out there in the rain, well, looking around. And I thought, man, she must be an avid, avid gardener. I said, well, I am too. Let me brave the rain. Heck yeah. And <laughs> go out there and stand in it with her. But it wasn't horrible rain, but we looked at a lot of shrubs and all, and then she was. She says, "Okay, um, I'm going to get some and let's load them up in my car." And I told her, "Let's wait. You just don't understand how wet these shrubs are going to be on the foliage when we're trying to put them in your car." So we're we're just like Kenneth uses says the word. We're chomping at the bit. Yep. And she was for sure. But standing out in the rain, I thought. This is definitely what a gardener does. Well, I had a uh, a customer come in yesterday, 
and she had a sample of Jim. In fact, we talked about this. Had a sample this. of Jim. She had Jim. a sample of a Japanese maple that had flushed out, and then oh, died. Oh, okay. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, how many more of these are we going to see? Um, and she showed me, you know, a picture. This was a well-established Japanese maple, uh, and it had enough energy, like I said, just to, to flush mm-hmm. out to produce some leaves, and then immediately it just started started dying, and. You know, and Jim, you were saying a lot of that was from the winter. A lot of it's from the winter, and we're seeing it in some other stuff too. I've seen it a good bit in oak leaf hydrangeas. In fact, just last night I was answering a question for a lady on their Facebook group. Uh, and what's happened is that sometime during the winter, either early or early last winter, late last fall, or this spring, yeah, the sap was still in those stems and they froze. Uh, and so when the sun finally got around to hitting it, whenever you get one side to expand and you'll get <clears throat> little hairline cracks in there. And of course, what that does is just disrupt the tissue, mm-hmm. the flow of foods through the tissues. Some buds will be fine because there's still some tissue that's functioning in there and there's still some carbohydrates stored in the stem. But instead of it flushing like the two on each side, mm-hmm. this one uh, it was had a little sprout here, and a little, but a lot down at the base, which told yeah. me that that basal sprouts that's coming because those stems got damaged. And why? Yeah. And why so much this year? It seems like then, and and we see some of that every year. Mm-hmm. See more and more of it though, and I think it's just because. Of, um, I mean, it's got to be the weather. We're planting pattern. the same plants, but the temperatures changing. Yeah, yeah, we're seeing more of this up and down instead of staying cold staying warm um so which we used to think was good because it would kill some insects yeah but now we're finding (laughs) it ain't so good it kills some plants (laughs) it really didn't do a good job of killing the insects i know it didn't because i found out it's got to freeze longer and deeper to kill our insects and here it it doesn't freeze deep enough yeah. or long enough. Well, yeah, what we used to think, though, is, and, and the, it still sounds good, and mm-hmm. I, is if you get a warm spell in January, you get uh, things like aphids hatching, mm-hmm. okay? And so they come out, they get maybe a generation or two because mm-hmm. it doesn't take but, you know, a couple of days for that to happen. Right. Uh, and then we get a freeze, and it kills all those. Well, now you have less adults to start the season. And if that happens a couple of times, then you end up with significantly less ad- adults once the season progresses. Oh, yeah. So, but, know, but, <laughs> you know, um, little aphids, they're like little Xerox machines. You know, they produce, they don't need boys at all. They, they <laughs> just, it's just a girl thing. And they produce little copies of themselves, you know, like one every minute or two. Uh, so they produce lots of these very quick. So, you know, we can kill 90% of them and still have more than we want to say grace over at the end of the season. That exactly. is true. And then they get way, way down in the, uh, in the stems or the bud union. They, they hide in all these places so deep where it's warm as yeah. well. And then like you and, said. And it's, it's hard to get insecticides, even oils, down into those really tight crotches mm-hmm. and so forth because it wants to stick to each side of the stem. Yeah. So a lot of those insects will survive even an oil spray application because we just can't cover them. Well, I'll, I've got, I wrote down aphids last night, uh, and we'll talk about that later on, about what they were on and, and the number that I saw, which oh. I've never seen. <laughs> 
But but with the Japanese maple, I mean, I told the young lady, I mean, go home and give it the old scratch test. Start at the top with your thumb and just kind of scratch the tissue and see if you can find good, green, viable tissue. Kind of work your way down and see if you can. And I said, well, don't be surprised also if you can't. Because, uh, you know, by looking at this and by what, you know, we're seeing where it flushed out and then die back, it's probably a goner. But, um, you know, I said you can, you know, cut out what's dead if you do find green tissue and wait and see if anything flushes back out, feed it, root stimulate it. But I think more than anything, like you were just saying, Jim, I think this thing is a goner because of the type of winter, the, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the thawing and the freezing, the thawing and the freezing that we had. And I'm telling you, and, and what I hated to see was this a, was a well-established Japanese maple. Yeah. Oh. I, I looked at one... Uh, Week before last, and we looked at a dogwood and a Japanese maple, and both of them were damaged from sunscald, you know, and just didn't think, you wouldn't think that this winter was that bad, but it actually, at some point, the conditions were correct. The plant was still green, and we got a freeze. Oh, love Mid-South. Okay. If y'all want to know anything about gardening, y'all can call us at 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can stream us online at kwamradio.com. You can post uh, text on our Facebook Live. Yeah. Um, okay, so we were talking about things that were freezing and all. Okay, elephant ears. So there. yesterday, we ha- we planted three elephant ears last year, and uh, they were gorgeous in their yard. Well, when we cut them down, we didn't cut them to ground level. Mm-hmm. I just cut them down where there was about four inches left. And so I checked them, and they were smushy and smelly, and you know, because it was holding all that water at top. Kind of like my top. banana tree was this yeah. year. Yeah. So I told um, one of the guys just chopped the top off. I said, because there could be green under there, mm-hmm. there could be some stuff coming out. And so he started chopping. He pulled the bulb out and he shows me, Is this what you're talking about? And I went, why'd you take the bulb out of the ground? But, okay, there's the bulb, and it did have some green coming off the side, um, but he chopped it in half by accident. No, it'll double now. Okay, that's what, I'm, that's what I was going to ask. I'm, I'm, we're good, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just so... There's so, a basal ring of cells where the roots join. You, you see it a lot on amaryllis. It's really... Mm-hmm obvious on those but the right there is where the the pups will form oh. and it's kind of like when we do um uh, raw sizing on on uh, hostas mm-hmm. we cut that ring so instead of having one we now have four and you can get a new growth pip off of each of those and that's what happens if you s- slice a, a elephant ear in four pieces you'll end up with four plants Oh, and you you did. Roth, so you need to thank him later. Roth sizing. Roth sizing. Roth on, sizing. Yeah, well, well, you know, you have to tell us what uh, that okay. is. Okay, <laughs> uh, and I did a video for um, WKNO, and it's one of their most mm. watched ones too. That the, they told me. But Fantastic. what you do is when the bud comes up, you take a razor blade and get directly over it and push it down, cutting that bud in half. Mm-hmm. Okay, until you get 
to and cut through the ring of cells. It kind of looks like a little hairy ring mm, around it. Okay, okay, yeah. And then move it, turn it 90 degrees, and cut it again so you've mm-hmm. actually put a cross in it. Mm-hmm. Well, now you actually have four separate plants instead of one, and you'll get a new uh, leaf bud forming off of each of those. And there are some hosta that just don't want to grow secondary plants unless you do this. So you can make a thicker Tricks hosta of the by trade. doing that. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And um, we used to do all of our carryovers, the hosta that we didn't sell mm-hmm. at, at Dan West uh, uh, the year before. We would raw size those and repot some of them if they were big enough. Mm-hmm. But we'd raw size them so that you would end up, instead of one, what yeah. looks like one plant in the pot, you'd end up with four plants in the pot. And it looks like, ooh, better deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Oh, Isn't that amazing? I wonder if I'm going to do that this year. And you were, razor blade cutting. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about mm-hmm. the elephant eaters. Well, the, mm-hmm. I mentioned the banana tree. I've got a hardy banana that's been in the corner of my backyard for years now. And it comes back every year great. Well, I noticed this year in particular, I guess because it was so wet and cold, but wet and cold, which is not always good for bulbs that are in the ground, is that my, my center bulb is gone. Yeah. Nothing's coming up. I've got it's like a ring around mm-hmm. where I used to have a banana tree, and these little banana trees are coming up. Um, so, you know, I we'll, wonder if uh, everyone's elephant ears did make it. Have you heard well, people talking m- about? Mine it? are fine. I mean, but on mine, the mother plant gets killed every year. You know, it's mm-hmm. the pups that I love that keep going. Uh, and with the Baju banana, up until last year, uh, two winters ago. I've just cut it off, cut the leaves off, left mm-hmm. stems up, and they re-sprouted. It was mild enough that the the trunk actually didn't freeze. But the last two years, it's gotten, for some reason, gotten cold enough to freeze it all the way to the ground. Yeah, that's what I happened uh, with yeah, mine. But right. my my new ones are up waist high now. I mean, they're... That, boy, they're coming out they're, nicely. Um, then uh, that reminds me, talking about banana trees. Okay, so I am ordering. There's a list of plants, reading down and reading them down. And really quick, I have to hurry up and order. And I saw hardy banana. So I grabbed, you know, oh, let me get five of those. We need hardy bananas. They came in, and they were the banana shrubs. Mm-hmm. Ah, so what yeah. What do you, I, well, I know we've plant. tried them. It's yeah. a great plant. Yeah, it, you know, it's related to magnolia. has a beautiful white flower, a little smaller than the sweet bay magnolia flower. Uh, but it's a nice evergreen shrub. Um, wow, you know, I did not know that. It is. It's a great plant. It's you know well, good because I'm thinking. Place well, it's it a in, container in the plant. shade. Mm. You know, or a little bit of sun's okay, but mine did not. I moved mine from where it was um, in f- full sun, and it was not happy there. And I moved mm. it to the shade, and it was much happier. <laughs> well, I like that. There's another shade plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice foliage and all. So it wasn't so bad of a mistake, but at first I said, no, I didn't order any banana shrubs. Banana I wanted a banana shrubs. tree. And then I went, oh, I bet I did. I yep. bet I did. Um, we, let's, yeah. Do we have a, we yeah, have somebody Cheryl, on Cheryl. Yeah. Good morning, Cheryl. You're in the Mid-South Gardening. Good morning. I love your show. Thank you for hosting it. Yeah. Thank you, Cheryl. Good morning to you, dear, and happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you. I have a pecan tree. 25 years old, never had a pecan on it. Could it possibly be an ornamental pecan? And also, I'm finding pecan trees sprouting all over my garden. 
Well, I don't gets from it or what? Yeah, I've never heard of a pecan tree not bearing, you know, fruit. Or I mean, never heard of a pecan tree not being an ornamental that doesn't have the ability to produce pecans. Uh, um, Jim, you said there are some. You, you, well, you you know, you have to have two pecan trees, okay, for them to produce fruit, and they have to be from two different groups. One where the pollen matures before the female part of the flower, one where it matures after. But to cross pollinate. If you don't have those, they won't produce fruit. But is there typically, uh-huh. like in Cheryl's case, if she's got one pecan tree in her landscape, I mean, aren't there typically enough pecan trees out there to where we're going to get pollination, or is that just not the case sometimes, depending on where you are? Yeah, it depends on where you are. Now, if the really old, long mayhem will produce by itself. It's kind of the parent of all the pecans that we have now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it produced a really long pecan, and it was almost always black in the end because it didn't fill out, and it wanted to produce every other year. Uh, now, you may be seeing something instead of pecan trees. Um, right now, I've got a number of chestnut seedlings coming up in my mm-hmm. garden. Um, it may not be a pecan. If you could, take a picture and send it to us on the Facebook group, and we'll see if we can get a positive ID on it. Um, mm. That would be the best thing. But even there, if there's a pecan tree somewhere around, it could be um, squirrels are planting them, yeah. you know? So, But yeah. quite, I have seen pecans that went years without producing anything. But they, there's pecan trees sprouting up everywhere, and they're very, they got a deep root, and they're hard to dig up. That's the question, though. Are they mm-hmm. really pecan trees? Uh, oh, I yeah, see. Yeah, that's oh, what I'm okay. wondering as well. Yeah. Yes. And, and okay. then, Cheryl, so the safest thing she could do if she wants pecans is to plant another pecan tree out there. Right. Uh, and that mm-hmm. way you know you're trying to ensure that you get that pollination that you need to get the pecans. Well, this one's. It's already 25 years old. It may not last too much longer, you think? Well, typically about 40 years is the lifespan. Well, it's not the lifespan, but the real productivity years of a pecan tree. They'll live much longer, but typically their production goes way down after about year 40. Well, you know, you could add um, compost under the tree, Mm -hmm. uh, zinc, do, do you think she still needs zinc? Well, probably. most pecan trees do, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, so zinc and compost. That would give a lot of nutrients to the tree and hopefully get it to bloom or bloom, produce the pecans the next year. But And, I mean, you would want a layer of compost, and it needs to go out as far as the tree because the feeder roots are there. Or just use a good general natural fertilizer like plant tone, tree tone, something like that, and then add supplemental zinc. Yeah, and look at Mm -hmm. your leaves. See if you see uh, an awful lot of little, looks like balls inside the foliage. Uh, Mm -hmm. Pecan phylloxera, it's Mm -hmm. a little insect that attacks right when the buds are swelling early in the spring. And a severe enough crop will keep you from having pecans. But so, you really wouldn't notice from a distance. You would that not notice from a distance. You'd have to look at the foliage, and you'll see what looks like. It's got little balls inside of it, just perfectly little round green mm-hmm. knots on in the inside the foliage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and Cheryl, I know you. I know you got some uh, questions on tomato seedlings, but we've got to go to a hard break here in just a second. Sure. So if you don't mind, we'll go put you back on hold, and we'll answer those questions about your tomatoes. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. And y'all give us a call, 260-5926. We'd love to hear what's going on in your gardening world. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all are up with us this morning. And we were talking to Cheryl. Let's go back to Cheryl. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for holding. Thank you. I planted some beefsteak tomato seeds March 15th. I have them in a container garden potting mix that Mm -hmm. feeds up to nine months. Mm -hmm. They are five to six inches tall. They have three leaves on top and two on the bottom. Mm-hmm. They're holding straight up, but they're very skinny. The stems are very skinny. Mm-hmm. Should I put Miracle Grow on them? And when would be the best time to put them in the garden? Uh, did did you grow them inside? Did you start them inside? Yes, ma'am. Yes, okay. ma'am. And did you use Miracle Grow throughout uh, growing them or just uh, the soil? No, I. Haven't really put anything on them yet. Well, I think they're thin. They're thin because of uh, insufficient light, and also temperature. Um, a good tomato growers will let the they'll turn the heat off and let the temperature drop down to uh, near forty degrees, and that hardens off the tomato, gets it good and thick, turns it purple, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's you know. But I is what you've got. I'd put them in the ground, mm-hmm. handle them by the leaves. When you plant them, just let those three leaves barely stick out of the ground. Everything else is going underground. Okay? Oh. All of that will become root system, and they will jump quickly for you. Oh, okay. So they're not too skinny to put in the ground right nope, now. Nope, not at all. But you want to handle, you know, you don't want to handle it by the stem because it's really easy to crush those thin oh. stems. So hold, oh, just, just grab it by the one of the leaves. If you damage it, it isn't going to be a big deal. Make your hole, firm your soil around it. Uh, but again, just barely leave the top of that plant out of the ground. And then just put some. Um, what should I put in the bottom of the, the hole? Some compost? Yeah, in, anything I... you've got to improve your soil, but you know, not just in the bottom. You want to go more wide than you do deep. You know, you don't really okay. need to dig the hole any deeper than just enough to get that tomato in the ground. But you want to uh-huh. do two and three or four times as wide, you know. Yeah. You want to get uh-huh. out there uh, uh, eight, 12, 18 inches wide, loosen that soil, mix some compost in it, water it in thoroughly, and in about 50 days, you'll have some maters. <laughs> okay, great. Right. They're not too easy to go in. Just nope, not at all. Thank you so much. I enjoy your show. Thanks. Hey, thanks Bye. for tuning in thanks. this morning. Thanks, Cheryl. And thank you. Thanks. Thank Bye-bye. Um, so she was saying to use Miracle Grow if that would help. That would grow it too fast right now. Yeah, you know, and there are better fertilizers for your plants. It, it's quick release, okay? It will if 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 you've ever seen one of their commercials, you know, they'll show a plant that's been fertilized with Miracle Grow versus a plant that hasn't been fertilized at all. Duh. I, I know, mean, that's what I noticed you know, too. <laughs> if you wanted to compare it with another fertilizer, that'd be different, you know. But 
Miracle Grow is great for stimulating your annual color, uh, for you know, quick dose of nitrogen maybe on your your greens or something. But it's not long term fertilizer, and there are so many better products that are considerably cheaper when you look at how much you're going to use yeah. and get yeah, to get the same results. I like for that, I like to use the Fox Farm Big Bloom. That's good a good, yeah, that's a good product to add into your whole thing. And then uh, keep amending your soil as well throughout the season by, by just adding some compost. When we get close to the summer when the heat's going to get really bad, I actually put some compost around each one just to hold the moisture a little longer. And then when you water, the compost turns into like a compost tea and uh, leaches down into the soil where the roots can benefit quicker. Yeah, and, and I know we got John and David. Y'all hang on just two seconds. But, yeah, I mean, usually I think of three things when I'm thinking about planting tomatoes. One is compost that we just mentioned. Uh, two is lime, making sure the pH is up uh, every year around these tomatoes. And then the fertilizer. And whether it's a water-soluble like the Big Bloom um, or something suitable to that or a granulated uh, non-burning type fertilizer. They're all or an organic fertilizer mm-hmm. like tomato tone. All of those are great, but but compost, pH, lime, and fertilizer can't go wrong. Right, and she said she had gotten a type of soil that feeds for say nine months, moments. which could do that. But you still need to add compost to your soil yearly or uh, bi-seasonally. Bi-yearly? <laughs> I'm like, what is, what's bi-seasonally? Mean? I know, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> okay. And uh, so to keep your soil good, and don't just spray with miracle Grow all the time, because we're trying to use something that keeps your soil healthy, that will grow the tomato, like its natural rate. Yeah, and re- a- regular miracle Grow, I think, is a 15-30-15. That's a lot of phosphorus to be doing every year. Mm-hmm. in your garden because you know as kenneth has seen so many times in in soil test phosphorus is always off you know, the chart yep way too much what yeah, about so. the um the nitrogen would that be too much as well? well no not really because it's all ammoniacal nitrogen okay. and it breaks down so fast yeah, yeah. okay so yeah, it, about three days it's done because you know how some things you add a lot of nitrogen and their cell walls get less and are thinner and uh, the plants don't perform as well, or the nitrogen takes away and doesn't allow the bloom to form or the, to- the tomato to form. But because remember when it used to be, if you have a fungus in your yard, just feed it, feed it, feed it real good and grow it out of its fungus. Bad thing. Bad thing to do. I'm like, yeah. I've thought about that over and over. I'm going, how? That would make everything worse. Yeah, nitrates seems. can actually trigger uh, yeah. fungal activity, oh, especially somebody, if you already have a fungal problem in the, oh, in the yard. I bet you a company that sells, no. Oh, that sells like the high nitrogen fertilizers said <laughs> that you if you do that, then you won't have fungus problems. And then you still do. So they get to sell the fungicide next. It's a theory. <laughs> it's a theory. I have heard of things like that happening, not in big companies, but like people that do the landscaping or the maintenance actually heard of them doing one thing to create another thing to create them to come back. It's hard to believe that people aren't on the up and up, right? Right. Oh, so hard. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to John. Good morning, John. You're in the garden. Um, good morning, guys. Hey, uh, John. Hey. Yeah, I, um, 
here's the problem I have with my tomatoes every year that the, they're not, they don't seem to be pollinating. I don't have no bees around here, and the, and the yellow buds start falling off um, after they open up. And uh, the other problem that I'm that I'm having is is there, is there the question I want to ask? Is there anything I can um, spray instead of using seven dust or any kind of poisons? Is there anything I can use to put on the plants to keep the bugs from eating the leaves? And well, this is a tomato plant. Yeah, and the buds yes, the buds are turning yellow and falling off. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, there's so many things that can be happening with that, and one could even be soil. Well, yeah, I mean, it, but blooms in particular, you know, you got to have, you know, the tomato will bloom, and then the bloom will pollinate to set the fruit. Uh, if the blooms are falling off, uh, there is a product actually called Tomato Set that you spray directly onto the bloom. And it helps hold that bloom on there long enough to pollinate. Uh, and as far as insects go, I mean, there's tons of really good, safe insecticides to use on tomatoes. Yeah. Like neem. You yeah, whether it's organic or... like neem or pyrethrin or whether it's uh, the permethrins, which is a synthetic pyrethroid. Uh, anything in the permethrin family is very safe to use on your tomatoes, John. Uh, and try to spray in the morning or the afternoon. You know, later on, especially, don't spray during the heat of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep your tomatoes at, try to keep them at a constant moisture as best you can. Make sure the pH is up where it needs to be. Feed them like mm-hmm. we were talking about a while ago. But tomato set and a just a good broad spectrum insecticide, and you should be perfectly fine. Yeah, Jim, give us a little rundown well, on that because I like to know how to prevent it future. Well, you know, too, if if some, if your foliage is disappearing from tomato hornworm or something, then use something like BT. Mm-hmm. It, it's very safe. It's absolutely non-toxic to the bees, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, and, and tomatoes are, are pollinated by bumblebees, not by honeybees. So that's, you know, planting some flowers around them to help draw them in is is a good idea Uh, if if you're having trouble, you know, and just get you some annuals, you know, and spend a couple of bucks, plant some around it, and it will help uh, bring those uh, bumblebees in there to you. But Blossom Set is a a godsend, you know, because particularly when we get into warm nights, tomatoes won't set when Mm -hmm. you get extremely warm night temperatures. So you've got to have Blossom Set if you're going to get any any good tomato sandwiches in August. (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, Right, one one final question. Uh, I love your show. I listen to you every Saturday. What kind of coffee do you recommend me use while I listen to your show? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this this one right here is Kroger. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. What do I have? Uh, Maxwell House. And I, I just got just old Columbia b- breakfast blend. <laughs> <laughs> but I have lots of creamer. <laughs> Thank you, John. Thanks, Thanks for the call, John. Yes, um, when I had a vegetable garden, oh, I loved it, and I miss it so bad right now, but I could grow great tomatoes, but I had a lot of organic compost mixed in, so during those five years I had a garden, I had become fortunate not having to uh, spray the blossom in right because all the organic stuff had calcium in it and allowed the calcium to actually be released to the plant. And then calcium, like one of the things that can add to the bloom, is falling off. Well, and then you're right. I mean, Veda, there's what we were talking about, though, was that tomato set, which is actually a hormone 
that keeps that bloom on there hopefully long enough to pollinate. And then the calcium chloride is the the blossom end rot, which is a yeah. whole different thing, you right, know. And right. I, let me tell you a little trick, y'all, if you want to help pollinate them. Go get you a can of spray air and then just mm-hmm. get out there early in the morning when those blossoms have just opened, point that little trigger up underneath there and just puff them once and you'll pollinate them really easily well you know when it like you said when it's really <laughs> Not that i don't want you to sell some blossoms yeah, yet, right, right. <laughs> well, but when, it works that's exactly. all that matters well when it was really hot i wanted to see if i could actually um make the tomatoes still set and of course we know when it's really hot the pollen stick gets really thick yeah, and heavy and it yeah can't, but I I thumped I thumped all the blooms even and then like late August middle of August started having little tomatoes on there, and so I did it that way which I like the air and situation I, now yeah. that would have been easier than thumping every bloom yeah they 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 pollinate by vibration uh, with tomatoes so that's the bees the hunt the bumblebees do that when they get in there they're just shaking their little hineys and they shake all that stuff down and make it and i've heard of people getting the electric toothbrush no tell me that one going out there and 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 just you know like instead of your teeth you're putting Uh this on the stem and vibrating the um the plant that way in different places wow yeah things we come up with so any vibrator would work yes it would was it um your wife's toothbrush? I'll never, <laughs> ever say that out loud. All right, we're going to run to a break real quick. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call at 260-5926, or you can post a question on our Facebook. No, yeah, Facebook Live. We're Facebook Live right now. So you can uh, be a texter. Yeah, in fact, I've got one from Rebecca Maddox. She said, we live in Bahia, and my neighbor has these tiny little thorny things in her grass, making it very difficult for her dogs to even walk through. She said she looked it up, and she found out it was burrweed, uh, which we, which is sticker, you know, little sticker uh, plants out there. Uh, I have some, uh, but not as many as, as my neighbor does. What is the best way to get rid of them? So burrweed is... If we if we all remember when we were young and barefooted and you run through the yard, especially after these things dry and you get all these mm-hmm. little burrs stuck oh. in the bottom of your foot, uh, a or burr all weed, over your socks. Oh, it's horrible. Mm. But they're still considered a broadleaf weed. Okay, so uh, Rebecca, you'd go and tell your neighbor to go out there with a broadleaf weed killer. Uh, you know, weed free zone, weed beater ultra, anything like that. Spray the area down. Talking about the lawn. And then uh, come back, if need be, in 10 days, two weeks, usually two weeks, and reapply it. And you'll kill uh, this broadleaf weed that has mm-hmm. this little burr on it, which is what, you know, sticks in the dog's paws and our feet. Yeah. Is, um, that, is that on the label to add a pre-emergent also to keep it from reseeding every year? Well, I like to use a pre-emergent in a lawn regardless. Anyway, I mean, that's yeah. just part of my lawn maintenance. But for any broadleaf weed that's already up and actively growing— uh, surely the the broadleaf weed killer like that weed-free zone uh, would do just fine. So, yeah, get out there. Now, like Jim made a comment, mm-hmm. you've sprayed burr weed before, and even though you kill it, the burr can still be there. Yeah, so it, it doesn't go away dry. overnight, right. right? So this is going to be an ongoing process until you can get it under control. Right. All right, let's go to Jamie, the master gardener. Good morning. Jamie, you're in the garden. Good morning. What a great topic you have going. Hey, Jamie. Good morning to you, buddy. 
<laughs> Don't let people forget about the great tomato contest July the 16th. But what I wanted to call about is I have so many questions about am I putting too much water on it or am I not getting enough water right. on it? Yeah, you're. I mean, you're so right. And and you know, who would ever think that watering just just watering things could be so, you know, almost scientific, if you will. Absolutely, it can be because you know, like you said, we all have been guilty of underwatering, Jamie. We've all been guilty of overwatering, but with tomatoes in general, tomatoes, you know, they they like a constant moisture, and and I can't tell you what that truly means, other than. We can go out there, and whether you're watering, say, really well and letting it air out before you come back and water again, or whether you're putting just a little bit of water on it like every day to every other day, it's whatever suits people the best. But the worst thing you can do is let them dry out, like you're talking about, Jamie, before, and keeping them too wet. So a constant moisture is what tomatoes need. In fact, you know, a lot of times later on when these tomatoes start producing— you'll get this blossom end rot. The bottom of the tomato will start to rot on you. And yes, that can be from a lack of calcium, but that can also be from up and down irregular watering. So I always tell people, Jamie, keep, try your best to keep these things at a constant moisture as best you can, <laughs> regardless of which way you have to do it. Yes, you know, but for, the first thing they'll say is, my leaves are turning yellow. Yeah. Is that too much water, too little water? So I know both. Well, if yeah. the leaves are turning yellow on the inside, not enough. Okay, okay say that what, again. <laughs> would you say say that again, Veda? If the leaves turn yellow on the inside? On the interior of the plant? Yeah, yeah, then that more than likely means not enough. But I always say you're always going to find some yellow leaves, especially towards the bottom of the plant. Oh, yeah, always. But that could be early blight. It can be. <laughs> There's some, if people knew, Jamie, how many things could go wrong with tomatoes, they'd never put one in the ground. <laughs> yes. You know? <laughs> but, 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 but beside that point, we're always going to plant tomatoes, though, because we just got to have them. But, oh, absolutely. But it's kind of like, you know, starting out, uh, you know, the keys to success with tomatoes, to me, it's one, you got to find a sunny area. See, a lot of people trying to grow tomatoes where they just don't get enough sun. Now, so, it doesn't have to be all day sun. No, but sunny enough. Sunny, yeah. At least half a day. You need good, rich, organic-based soil. You know, compost. Add that compost in there. you got to have that pH up around 6.5. That is a must. So add that lime if you need to. Get the tomatoes. And I like to plant more than one variety. I like to plant two or three different varieties. Uh, and then try to keep them at a constant moisture. Don't let them things get bone dry before you water, and don't keep them sloppy, slurry, wet at the same time. Now, if we can do all of that, we can have some success with tomatoes. Well, thank you all so much. I thought Veda had said on something we could use there. If the inside is is yellow, then uh, but I don't know if that's scientific or not. But uh, well, I, you I, know, I'm, I'm looking for an answer that I could tell people. Ah, uh, well, when I, it's just like you know, start with the soil. If the soil's good, plenty of sun, air circulation, um, and then spray. I've always sprayed my tomatoes with the um, organic juice, as they say, like a worm castings or any of the Fox Farm liquids are great. Uh, so that would be my answer, and um, just keep keep fertilizing with healthy food, and that way it can a lot of times grow itself out. Plus, if you're using a lot of uh, organic matter, 
and spraying the soil and all, then it makes the plant more resistant to fungus or insects as well. So just add that into your whole routine of and, growing And tomatoes. then you get the electric toothbrush later on when it yeah. gets hot. Go out there and stick that thing on that tomato and, and vibrate that tomato and uh, get that pollen moving around. I think that might be the key, too. Well, thank y'all so much. We really appreciate it. Y'all, y'all are doing a good job, and keep it up. Thanks, Thanks Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. Right. Yes, because he's going to the Great Tomato Contest is in... Uh, he said July the 16th. Yeah, so y'all start getting your tomatoes planned for that. Go with the soil. Get your calcium carbonate. For your blossom in rot, what was the other one y'all were no, talking about? No, you want about? calcium chloride or calcium nitrate. Calcium carbonate is the issue. Ooh, calcium I'm nitrate. I'm glad you corrected that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah lime, <laughs> which is calcium carbonate, is not available in wet soils. Oh, two things. Plant sales that are going on today. UT is on from 7 to 11 this morning in Jackson. And also the strawberry um, Audubon place Humming down in Holly Springs. Their native plant sale is today. All right. See you in a minute. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda Vance from Palladio, Memphis. Is that where you are, Miss Veda? I am there a lot. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, you Dan are West. you ever at Dan West? I at Dan West Garden Centers. <laughs> um, and Mr. Jim Crowder over here. And I'm from a galaxy far, far away. Yes, yeah, he you is. are. <laughs> Don't set us up, Jim. <laughs> but if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926. 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text. Like Wendy Johnston did, she said, I have seen powdery mildew already on bee bomb mm-hmm. <laughs> what, be, what would be good well for we all three said cut it down yeah. and don't let it grow it. back let, <laughs> let it reflush again yeah yeah bee bomb is uh unfortunately it's very very susceptible to mildew we talked about mildew last weekend but you know there are mildew resistant yes. varieties now that's not proof but mm-hmm. you know gets i know how pretty jacob klein is it's yes. such a brilliant red for a minarda okay but it powdery mildew will find it yep just <laughs> in no time so don't plant that one right, so y'all got that <laughs> so what are we saying so, with for wendy i mean you can go out there and of course spray a uh, systemic fungicide or any fungicide that has powdery mildew on the label and come back and spray it again wendy in uh, you know a couple of weeks and that will help knock that mildew mm-hmm. out or if it's already so bad then like veda and jim were saying sometimes you just have to cut them back and let them just reflush mm-hmm. you know right yeah, um, it's amazing, y'all. A lot of us are, are scared to cut things back, but I have cut so much back and it flushes back out wonderfully, and it's really not a long time to have to go with not seeing it there. But I wonder if Wendy would get any bloom at all if she cut them back now. Probably yeah. not. Oh, yeah, because oh, they'll, grow, yeah. Okay, yeah, good. they'll grow so fast. Yeah. They'll yeah. come out. Yeah, Bee Balm is beautiful, smells great, all kinds of colors. Um, but very I've, susceptible to that, yeah. that mildew. We had some on the shelf that were uh, getting shade from a tree that was in a bucket right next to that area. So I sprayed with the neem and then moved them also so they weren't getting that partial shade. So when I got them out in the more sun, then we stopped with the powdery mildew. So sometimes, because Minardia can grow in some shade, 
but maybe that shade's causing the powdery mildew. But it's amazing how some plants are just very susceptible. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we've seen a lot of mildew already this mm-hmm. year. Uh, yeah, and know. the thing about powdery mildew, it's, it actually doesn't need water on the foliage to germinate. Yes, so you're exactly right. It can, yeah. you know, your foliage, you don't have to have an irrigation system to make it bad. I mean, if you're just growing a plant that's susceptible, it can get mm-hmm. it in the driest of humidities and places. Yeah, yeah, because actually when you say driest of, I was reading Texas A&M had put this out, but it's it's been a little while since I've read it. But a lot of times you can get the powdery mildew because plants are too dry. And they were probably meaning. Yeah, anytime yeah. a plant is not in optimal conditions it's it's um, likely to have other issues plant, plant insects and diseases like to attack plants that are already sickly sure exactly yeah so it's much easier kill yeah yeah because <laughs> it's kind of stressed like, and know. something's gonna jump on well, it. well y'all were mentioning aphids uh, in the first hour had a customer bring by a sample of an evergreen clematis and I've never in my life seen as many aphids on a sample, ever. <laughs> I mean, this thing was... Did was, you run out to Poplar <laughs> and go, don't let <laughs> him in my take nursery. It back out and this car. guy was scratching his head like, what in the heck do I have here? And it was just aphids. I mean, but it was on there by the millions, I'm telling you. And aphids love, you know, tender, mm-hmm. new growth. And like Jim was just saying, aphids also not only love new growth, but they, you know, plants that are usually weak or anemic for whatever reason are much more susceptible to insects and disease than ones that are, you know, not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but in this, go, go ahead. ahead. No, because like in this case, since it grew the, the tender <clears throat> new growth, it right. made it easier for the aphids to be there. Uh, I would like spray everything with water, like try to get the ends. and You're just, exactly right, yeah. Beta. And then fertilize again to make it, not with nitrogen, just fertilize again to give it some extra food to take up to make it more resistant. Well, and what I was going to say is if you have aphids and you go out there and check your plants, whether it's new bedding plants you've put out there, whether it's a you know new growth on roses, vines, whatever. I've seen, even seen them on new growth on roses this year. You can get the water hose out and just blast them really good and then come back and spray with a, just a generic broad-spectrum insecticide. But like when Jim was saying a while ago, you know, they're like little, you know, copying machines. They mm-hmm. can <laughs> duplicate themselves pretty quick. Is you need to spray and wash more than just one time. Um, so give them a good spray in, uh, come back in about uh, a week, 10 days, do it again. And I like to say come back in another week or 10 days and do it a third time. Uh, because you have to break that reproductive cycle when it comes to some of these insects because they reproduce so fast. So make your rounds and just have an eye. Look out for those aphids because they're out there. And like I said, I've never seen as many on a a climbing clematis or evergreen clematis. Mm -hmm. And and it was already mutated. The plant was already, yeah, it was already twisting and Uh, It was horrible, I'm telling you. There's a lot of aphids on this specimen. I guess it was just growing so quickly and rapidly because I really never hear of anything on the evergreen clematis, any issues. Yeah. Because the leaf is so strong and glossy. Well, you get that new growth, and aphids love it. And then we heard where we had some damage this winter on some evergreen uh, clematis out there, but you know, we had winter damage on a lot of different mm-hmm. things, you know, yeah. that we usually didn't or don't. Now, what, three years ago when we got down to eight or so, I lost my evergreen clematis, huge one, been there for a number of years, you know, had a 
pretty good sized trunk on it, but it's split right at the oh, bottom. Oh, I see. It's split. Yeah, yep. because I remember like years and years and years back that the thing was that evergreen clematis might not be as hardy here. I guess oh, when it was colder, fine. but now, yeah, no issues. And they're so beautiful, and they really, really are evergreen. And it's, so fragrant. Oh, that's right. They, they are. are extremely fragrant. Great plant. And one of the one of the perennials that has have that have done really well this year uh, have been the peonies or the peonies. Um, you know, and when those things are blooming, everybody in the world wishes they had them. You know, and uh, you know it's one of those things where there's always been this garden myth. Mm-hmm. that, you know, if you see ants on your peonies or peonies, you know, leave them alone because the ants have got to be there for this thing to bloom. You know, that's not the case at all, uh, if you've ever heard that. Uh, Does somebody wanted to spro- sell, sell you some spray? <laughs> well, no, they're saying leave the ants alone. I because agree, yeah, yeah, because the ants have got to be on the buds for these things to actually oh, open up and bloom. sorry, I was phasing So out. it was a mutual <laughs> symbiotic relationship, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's not the case. I mean, a- ants are only there because you're getting this nectar mm-hmm. from this bud, uh, which is a sugary-like substance, and, of course, that draws the ants in, and that's always been one of the complaints is, how do I get ants off of my peonies? Well, I'm thinking it's good because it'll keep the ants on the peonies and not on other my house. Yeah, you know? and maybe okay. it'll keep the aphids off the peonies because you got ants they, on there. But they're not hurting your peonies or your peonies, mm-hmm. however you want to say it. Not at all. Uh, but a lot of people think they got to go out there and spray to kill the ants or they got to leave the ants alone because you got to have the ants on there for these things to open up and bloom. No. You know, they're mm-hmm. only there because of the nectar. That's the only reason those ants are on them. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's it's one of those things where it's almost synonymous that if you have yeah. peonies or peonies, mm-hmm. you're going to have ants mm-hmm. on there. So just be prepared. you got to be careful when you're clipping them and bringing them indoors well, sometimes. Well, a lot of people, they'll just, uh, when they take them inside, they'll just dip it down in water. Mm-hmm. You know, the ants are going to float off of right. it. And then you just pull the plug and down the drain they go, you know, or wash them mm-hmm. off. But... Uh, peonies are, they are great perennials. And I'm telling you, when those things are blooming, uh, they're truly beautiful. Now, one thing to keep in mind when you do buy a peony, I, say, I always used to say peony. And this I woman almost both, slapped yeah. me because I said peony. I she said, you know, too. it's a peony. I must, she must have got me too then. Like, uh, but <laughs> I'm going to say peony. Um, that <laughs> if if you plant them, you know, they, they're, again, they're, they're, they're there long term. So, you know, more sun than shade. Uh, you know, really worked organic matter in the soil. And, you know, the first year or two, you, you, you still can get some bloom, but not prolifically. Uh, but once they are established, and it can take a year or two to become truly established, uh, you'll be rewarded with tons of blooms on these mm-hmm. things. So, uh, And as always, do not plant them too deep. You mm-hmm. want it, to, I mean, you want it just about the same soil level it is that it was in the container. Yeah, you, exactly. Because if you do plant them too deep, they're not going to mm-hmm. bloom, which is, you know, kind of like some of the daffodils that we see people plant too deep. You know, mm-hmm. you get beautiful foliage, but no bloom. And it could be a, something as simple as yeah. this thing is just planted too deep. You know? Amazing. Amazing. Um but, you know, it's like we're saying tomatoes, you can plant deeper, and then peonies don't plant so no. deep. And then clematis, didn't you say you could plant clematis? Clematis is one of the two plants other than tomatoes that I will plant deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I if you get that, when you buy it in a, in a pot, put about three or four inches of that underground. Uh, that will all become root system. 
And you'll also see that you'll have less issue with um, the uh, stem canker mm. uh, by getting that down. And also, if you can plant something to cover that, you know, vines, vines don't, they grow through stuff and get up on top and canopy in full sun. So they have evolved to grow up through a shady area. That lower stem needs to be shaded by something if you can, uh, and you'll get much better bloom off of it, um, and you'll have less issue with the stem canker. If you're having a canker, any good rose spray will will usually take care of it. Just stay on top of it. It won't kill your plant. It just kicks it back and then has to start over. You're talking on the clematis. On the clematis, yeah. 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 And so, that's when they when they, they say the foot needs to be shaded. Mm-hmm. The foot of the plant, they mean, you know, the lower part of right. this vine. Because that's the way a vine grows. You know, most most all vines are full sun-loving plants, but mm-hmm. they don't get there. It's like wisteria. They don't get there until they're They, they grow yeah. through the top old. of the tree, right? right. I always thought it, that vines were just smart enough to hide in bushes because you don't go in there and try to pull them out mm-hmm. because you don't know they're there. Okay, we're going to run to a break. I've got to come up with some gardening questions. I know you have some. And, of course, that'll change our topic if you're tired of listening to our topics. And call us at... You can't possibly be tired of listening to our topics. This is very true. so good at what we do. (laughs) 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 260-5926. Give us a call. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Um, you know, you were posting on your Facebook your Facebook page, Jim, <laughs> the spider that has the big egg sac that they carry around. Oh, what yeah. are you, what, yeah, big what are you even... The wolf spider. Where are we yeah. going? We're going to where the first time I saw that. Whew, that was creepy. So alien. And I'm just looking <laughs> at it going, what is that? Of course, why she is... just stomps on yeah. it. Yeah, my my it? wife was weeding last weekend, and mm-hmm. this little thing came out from underneath the plants and you know, stood on the rock in front of her, like challenging her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> Oh, and, uh, and of course, it, you know, she's not terribly scared of them, but she mm-hmm. did, uh, but did startle her, you know, when that spider of that size yeah. comes running out at you. Right, exactly. You know, and challenges the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Boy, that. But yeah, it was, uh, got some good close up pictures of that one. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, but that's, a, that's a wolf spider. But, you know, unless yeah. it's a brown recluse or a black widow, typically around mm-hmm. here, you know, spiders aren't, you know, they're a nuisance, right. but they're not going to hurt anything. They're surely not going to hurt us. Yeah. They, um, they take care of some insects they do. as well. So I'm just telling her to get back under the bushes so I can't see but you. It's, yeah. <laughs> and but it's then do your thing. Something about snakes and spiders, I'm telling you. I mean, mm-hmm. and most of the snakes around here, mm-hmm. you know, they're non-poisonous. Now, there are some that are, of course. Uh, just like there are a few spiders around here, but we want to class them all into one group. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see a spider, they need to be dead. If you see a snake, yeah. it definitely needs to be dead, right? Well, but uh, they poisonous. do good things for us. Yeah. But that's my point. We group them all into, hey, that's one a poisonous scary, snake. Yeah. yeah, one scary <laughs> snake. First, just a reminder, everybody, that all snakes are protected in the state of Tennessee. Mm, well, Even copperheads, which even I think copperheads. so. Yes. Jim, that, um, so if you're standing on one well, let me tell you and how, you can't run fast, <laughs> I'm going to have to. We sell the the blow-up snakes. You know, you can mm-hmm. blow this thing up and put it in the garden, and it's supposed to be kind of a is a, a natural repeller, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a snake. 
true story for lady, birds. No. Yeah, for birds. <laughs> uh, a lady brings it in, and it, it has been chopped up with a hoe. Uh-huh. Because the yard man showed up, and he sees this thing down there in the garden uh, and thinks it's a real snake. So, Jim, you're talking about being protected. <laughs> you know, this thing was cut up, and, and but they wanted another one, okay? <laughs> Good. Yeah. They wanted, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, I got you now. I'm back. Um, we have a caller that would like to know how to treat lace bugs on azaleas. He's tried neem oil. But are there other more permanent solutions? Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to lace bug in particular, which is a little winged insect that affects our azaleas, it gets on the underside of the leaf, always on the underside of the leaf, and it sucks the green chlorophyll out of the, the foliage. So uh, especially as, as summer progresses and it, it gets hotter and drier, it seems like the more lace bug potentially damage we see on azaleas. Um, so with that lace bug always being on the underside of the leaf, I always like to use a systemic insecticide because I know that if I'm using a systemic insecticide, I don't necessarily have to spray under every leaf to kill every lace bug. I can just spray the azalea down. The leaf will absorb the product. So I still kill the lace bug without actually hitting the lace bug. So I would say uh, if I'm spraying for lace bug on azaleas, I'm the first choice is going to be a systemic insecticide. And that's either going to be a spray that I spray mm-hmm. or a systemic drench that I mix and pour on the root system. Right. I think that's the best way to get rid of lace bug. And uh, mm. there are some situations that you keep getting the lace bug and you spray and it comes back every year or you use a systemic, well, maybe something in the environment's wrong. We had a situation where it was just your regular azaleas that, not the encores, because they like more sun, but your regular azaleas. Getting too much sun. Yeah, they were getting way too much sun on that Mm -hmm. end. So we dug them up and moved into the shady area, Mm -hmm. fertilized it really good, and it eventually grew out of that problem and did not have that problem anymore just because the fact that they were getting too much sun. Oh, absolutely. But then sometimes you can look at plants and just look at them, um, not like testing soil and all that, and see no environmental reason why lace bugs should be there on the plant. So a lot of times maybe changing environment doesn't help, but I, I always try that well, first. Well, you're right. I mean, Encore azalea, as you mentioned that, they can take all really all the sun you want to give them, and they're fine. But you get the old-fashioned traditional but even azaleas. Those, even Encore's can be, as you've seen from the ones planted in front of this station that I did, yeah. uh, they are lace bug magnets yeah. in mm-hmm. the sun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but especially mm-hmm. traditional azaleas that are getting way too much sun, more than they should be getting, they are definitely more susceptible to, to lace bug. And then azaleas that are just packed in there too tight, azaleas that are uh, actually have overhead irrigation that stay pretty wet, yeah. you know, they're prone to lace bug. But you're right. I mean, you want to try to keep the azaleas as healthy as you can. Uh, water is needed. Feed them really good after they bloom. But I still, to answer the question, though, I still like to use a systemic in particular when it comes to these dang lace bug. And they'll make, I mean, they can make green azaleas look white-leafed. Yeah, they do. They can totally do that. Well, and also on the neem, because we were talking about it last week, because they took the azaractan out of it, basically. That was the best uh, insect insecticide. So that's probably why he's not having well, great you, results. You, you know, neem really works by smothering the insect. Yeah. Okay. You almost never 
turn over a leaf and see right. a lace bug. They fly away too quick. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you sprayed it thoroughly to dripping with neem right now, in a few minutes you could go out there and catch one. And they penetrate such a small part, uh, such, a, uh, such a small piece of tissue, they're not going to ingest anything even mm-hmm. really that's on the surface. Yeah. Uh, so you really need to go with uh, either the, the uh, systemic, like acephate once every four weeks or so, or do the imidacloprid once in early spring and you won't have to fool with it. The drench. And then the permanent cure is just move them out of the sunlight and put Mm -hmm. them in the shade. So there. So there. (laughs) And we're saying, and of course, one thing that does happen in gardening, and I have to say that I'm kind of guilty of it too, where I could have changed the environment, but that would have been... Such hard work to do that. So I, you know, I would spray and fertilize to make it able to handle that environment a little better. Well, but we also see where people have all the right intentions and they'll have their landscape really the way they want it. Mm -hmm. And then for whether it's through a storm or old age or they lose a tree. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing you know, what used to be your beautiful shade garden that you had hostas and Mm zayas all over the place. Now it's a full sun baking sun area because the tree is gone. You know, and sometimes it's just not practical to think you can go out there and move some of these well-established azaleas mm-hmm. that you've had there for years. So you almost have to learn to live with some of the potential problems that come up with that. Yeah. And knowing that, you know, there again, you're going to have some mm-hmm. problems down the road. Well, azaleas are uh, really diligent on trying to grow, actually. We had one time we had a job where their azaleas were 10 feet tall, had never, ever, ever had anything done to them. Uh, It was a beautiful landscape like 15 years ago, Mm. but everything had grown up and the azaleas were growing in each other. And then there was a long stem out here trying to get some light. It was just a mess. There was no pruning those to make them look good. But... And the the trunks were like an inch, two inches on it. We cut, I said, there's no way we're cleaning. I'm just cutting these straight down. I cut them down to like four feet, three feet. There was really nothing left but some trunks sticking up, really. And and the uh, client was about wanting to fire me because they think I trashed their azaleas. I said, you've got to just wait a couple of months. And I said, they're going to flush out. It may take another year or so to get them bigger. But they did. They've just flushed out great. But it looks really scary when you take somebody's azaleas down to the ground. And, and I guess there's always risk. And I know we've got to go to a break here in a second. But I know there's risk involved when you're starting cutting well-established shrubs back that far but sometimes Mm -hmm. i'd just soon do that and see what happens then Mm -hmm. just dig them up throw them away that was the case okay we're running to a break real quick give us a call 260-5926 or post a question on our facebook live Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all are with us this morning. Give us a call, 260-5926. 
If you don't want to talk on the radio, just call and leave a message uh, with Claire, and she'll put it over here, and we can help you that way. Yeah, and you can also shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and if you ever want to go back and listen to any of this nonsense that we do, <laughs> but have a great time doing it. Mr. Jim, uh, kwamradio.com, you can always go back and listen to the podcast. And invite you to join our Facebook group. If you're not a member, please join. You do have to answer the questions to get in, and that's just to make sure that uh, you don't post anything that doesn't belong to you. Yeah, and also, that's right, Jim, uh, with Mother's Day being tomorrow, uh, support your local garden centers. Palladio's right there mm-hmm. on Central. Of course, Dan West on Poplar Avenue and Highway 64. You go find everything you need for the mother, uh, the, yeah. especially the gardening-type mother, whether it's hanging baskets, you know, annuals, perennials, uh, Vedas. Just, mm-hmm. It's the perfect place to shop, and you can find great deals mm-hmm. also right before yeah, Mother's Day. You so, can. Yeah. Tools, every mother day, every mother's, no. Don't give your wife a Korean hand hoe for Mother's yeah, Day. It will not go over well or a mop. It's called a hori hori knife. Yeah. You know why it's called hori hori knife? She loves mine. She took mine away from me. Oh, because yeah. it's really cool. It's one of her favorite tools. But yeah. they call it that because it's the sound that it makes when it goes through the soil. Hori, hori, hori. Never heard that before in my life. <laughs> I, it's a Japanese thing. I was reading about it because hori, hori, nice from <laughs> the Japanese. So I wondered, because uh, I wanted to talk about this on a, a video that I'm going to do, or I do, for Instagram. And I was like, well, you know, what's some more interesting things about this? So I looked it up, and I don't think it was where they were digging in dirt. They were doing something in the sand, so it was kind of like a scraping noise. Maybe. And they interpreted it as the hoary hoary knife. But there's some good—I mean, I tell you what, any job is so much easier if you mm-hmm. do have the right tools. Yeah. Oh, wait, i got to say one thing. That was a southern way to pronounce the hoary hoary knife. I don't know how the— Japanese say it, but I'm sure it's much prettier than how I say it. Well, you know, we get the gist of it. Yes, okay. Um, you know, so we've talked about kind of a recap, the uh, the peonies or peonies, you know, with the ants and everything, and ants are not a problem. Uh, Japanese maples in, in particular that have flushed out, and then now they're starting to die because of the, uh, the damage that was done to them, you know, this prior winter, you know, that really week of really cold that we have but it's not just the cold it's the cold and the thawing and the cold and the thawing that we were talking about uh that can cause a lot of the damage and then of course the aphids you know and and lace bug i mean the insects are out there in force no doubt but there's always typically a a particular or a a broad spectrum insecticide that will control most of the insects that we that we come in contact with or that we have a problem with uh and another thing uh, Vade and Jim that I'd written down last night was, you know, the arbovitas. And so many people, when you mention the word arbovita, they, they almost run from you because mm-hmm. they've, some, somebody's always had a bad experience with an arbovita, trying to get one to grow. Um, but it, that's a whole other story because, you know, you need good drainage. Uh, you know, you typically need more sun than shade. Uh, and it's usually a watering thing when it comes to people killing arbovitas, quite honestly. Uh, it, it, because it seems like that first year that you plant an arbovita, uh, and, and hopefully you planted it right to start with. <laughs> Let's just start yeah. there. You know, digging the hole just as deep, twice as wide, amending the soil, creating good drainage, uh, getting it planted. Always plant with the root ball a little above grade and then berm up to it. But it seems like, Jim, invaded that that first year they are really finicky when it comes to moisture and 
what I would do is plant it right, uh, and the way I like to water them is to really soak them when you water them. I mean, soak it. Soak that root ball, but let it air out before you come back and soak it again. In other words, I'm making sure that it doesn't completely dry out, especially through that first summer. Mm -hmm. But I'm also making sure that I'm not keeping this thing just sloppy wet. And we see both ends of the spectrum. But if you do want to plant arborvitaes, uh, just kind of a a rundown on the different varieties. If you want a arborvita that's only going to get, and the reason I I wrote this down last night, I had a lady bring me a picture Mm -hmm. of her house. Beautiful home, okay? And they planted two dwarf arborvitaes on either side of the door, okay, in a bed. Oh, yeah. And those two died the first summer, okay? So there again, were they not planted right or were they just not being watered correctly? But they died. So the same company that planted those two came back out, pulled those out of the ground, and planted two more. (laughs) Well, the two more that they planted, instead of being dwarf, wound up getting about 25 foot tall. Right. Okay. okay, so they were not oh, so a dwarf. Not dwarf. No, so she had somebody come in the other day and dig those out because they've just gotten too big for what she wanted, correct? Right. So she's going to come back and put the Holstrup uh, arborvitas in there that only get about seven foot tall. It is a true dwarf arborvita. So if you're looking for arborvitas, y'all, keep these in mind. The Holstrup will get five to seven foot. It's a dwarf. And then the, you know, there's always the North Pole and the Emerald Green, which are almost the same arborvita. Uh, the North Pole arborvita gets uh, 10 to 15 foot tall, 3 to 5 foot wide, well, about 3 foot wide uh, to 5 foot wide. It's a little uh, more narrow than the Emerald Green arborvita. Yeah. Very similar. I love the... <clears throat> the North Pole yeah. arborvita. Uh, so you've got the, uh, the Holstrup, then you've got the Emerald Green or the North Pole. Arborvita, and then you've got the green giant. And I tell you, the green giant arborvita, it's almost like the replacement of the Leland cypress. Yeah. If you that, think about it. Yeah. Because this is a very fast-growing uh, arborvita. It, it, you can, if you plant quite a few of those on a, on a property line, you can create a green wall, if you will. Uh, and they'll get oh, up to 30 foot tall. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we don't plant the Leland cypress like we used to for the canker disease and, you know, all the right reasons. So if you, all I'm saying is if you ever want to buy or plant an arborvita, first of all, get the one for that spot. Yeah. Plant it the right way and make sure that you do pay attention to the moisture, especially that first summer. And if you do all that, they're not hard to grow. It's just a misnomer that people think mm-hmm. they are. Right. Yeah, we had planted a... Um, the Holstrom in a flower bed or in a landscape bed. And uh, the client calls and says the one on the corner is just dead as can be. So we went out there and looked and the irrigation pipe had busted right under it. Oh, great. So, yeah, so that it was just keeping the moisture there. And so, mm-hmm. yes, it um, was getting too much water. But then the, the other thing, this is what happened, though. The whole irrigation ended up busting. And even in the front flower, we just planted everything. Front flower beds. We come back about three weeks later, four weeks later. This is when we discover there's the busted pipe. The problem with the irrigation yeah. underground. Right. So then um, the guys were going to go over to the other bed and mulch. And so when they stepped in the bed, they sunk. So it had... Th- all this new stuff had been sitting in water. So we actually lifted everything out wow. because it was new, put it in buckets, 
um, added more compost to that soil, waited for it to dry, and put everything back in, and it worked. But we had had pulled it out before the roots and the air and all the um, oxygen had left the soil for the roots to grow. So everything was good. Mm-hmm. Because we got it out in time. Well, and then, you know, we always talk about how if you plant the same plant, which I love the look now of a line of arborvitaes as a green wall. I love that look. But, you know, if you get spider mites in there, you can get them on all of them. If you get Mm -hmm. bagworms in there, you can get them on all of them. So you got to be aware yeah, when so one start, thing can exactly. wipe Exactly, yeah. so you've got to be aware of that. One of the reasons that I have to spray so seldom in my garden is because I have so many different things. Mm-hmm. There's just not much there. Other, You know, I have lots of different varieties of hostas and lots of different varieties of deciduous azaleas, but, you know, there's not great numbers of anything mm-hmm. that will support spider mites or... Or that, so I have very little trouble, and and I do as as y'all have already talked about this morning, you know, try to once a week or so spray the fo- spray the foliage down fairly vigorously, and you'll get rid of a huge amount of your spray insects. it with what Jim water just, yeah 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 just yeah. take the water hose and squirt it down when I'm watering. Man, so. well, speaking of arborvitaes, I'm trying to find the one I ordered one or a couple, and I think it was called Tall Boy. Tall Boy. I mean, there's yeah. Well, that sounds like a dwarf. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so um, I know. I'm like thinking because they're they're talking about it's thinner. Mm-hmm. Cause I guess when you think of a tall person, I don't know. So it's thinner, but it still gets tall. Not as big as the legal and cypress and and all of those, but. It's, oh, I can't remember the whole part about the tall boy. I think I'm calling it right, but I'm gonna. I want to try that one out because it seems a little thin. And I love them. And like I said, I think there's a misnomer in Cheryl Hangon. I think there's a misnomer that they're hard to grow because mm-hmm. they're really not if they're done correctly. And like I said, that first year, guys, you just gotta make sure you take and care I think of the moisture. That's a perennial problem. And personally, I think. Most people don't give them enough water in July, August, mm-hmm. and September. Yes, sir. Uh, for right. their life, they are not a low water demand plant like um, other Hollies conifers so are. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like so, Blue Point juniper. Yep, junipers. Yeah, junipers. You know, you yeah. can. You now they get dry. They'll get spider mites, but they'll mm-hmm. survive. But you you let uh, you let an arborvitae get dry in in July and August, and it's going to be toast pretty mm-hmm. quick. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember when I think this was like. 1989, 1990. You were like somewhere. three. Yeah, I was like three. And um, everybody, <laughs> everybody would plant the arborvitaes right up against the house. But people would call those graveyard plants because they used to plant arborvitaes in graveyards to divide a divider. This was in Central Texas, so I don't know if it was a Texas thing. But they, but a number of people would say, I don't want those graveyard plants. Yeah, mm-hmm. see, but I love them. I, mean, I really think they're nice. But I just want to tell people mm-hmm. that, you know, there are some certain things that you need to do. You need to do it the right way if you want to be successful because it's, it is frustrating when you when you plant these things. you got five of them planted in a row or, or whatever the number is. And then you got two or three of them that are dying. The other ones look fine. Mm-hmm. Well, why are these dying and the other ones are fine? Right. Yeah, we can talk more about that after this break. And Cheryl, you hang on through this break and we'll get you after. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us this morning. Um, let's go to Cheryl. Good morning, Cheryl. You're in the Mid-South Garden. 
good morning. Hey, Cheryl. I, my first, I, I, it's about trees. My first one question is about a walnut tree. It's okay. uh, probably about 15 years old. was mm-hmm. actually planted as a small tree. Mm-hmm. It's now maybe 15 feet, 20 feet high. Yeah. It's in a full sun area. Got grass around it. The drainage is relatively good. It's on like a incline or decline, but water comes from the property above it to that tree. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's had in the past few years like the spider-like looking webs on it. Mm-hmm. It still gets good produce. It makes big green, you know, walnuts that fall down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very slow to bud out this year. And, but I don't know if walnut trees, if that's generally, they do that. Do they yeah. green up slowly? Yeah, they mm-hmm. do. Pecans, uh, walnuts I, are one of the last ones to sprout in the spring. Yeah, okay, that's so how they. That's how, how some of the um, old-time gardeners would know when we were past the bad weather is finally the walnuts and pecans we're putting out because they're, they're the last thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it actually looked pretty good then except periodically i guess like with all trees i get little bitty dead limbs and mm-hmm. just yeah. break out yeah and then the, so. the the webs on the uh tree too that those are fine you know it's the what is it not the tent caterpillars the, the tent caterpillar is okay. a spring one that has the tent in 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 a crotch of a limb when you get the ones out at the ends of the limbs those are fall those are webworms mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, they do it at the. It's more at the end of the year because they're big yeah. Ones. Okay, so and you, yeah, you see them in hickories and and yeah. pecans and walnuts yeah. and and again they do little damage. Right. You know, uh, the okay. the season has progressed so far that you've got a lot of carbohydrates already stored in the trees. Um, there are some things that you can do to get rid of them, but it's probably not affecting your crop significantly. Big deal. Yeah. Okay. So what do I need to do? I was thinking it was looking bad because of all that going on. Uh, but like I said, it still appears to have good produce. So yeah. what do I do to take care of it, to feed it, to Well, it, it out? you said it, it, there's lawn around it? Grass mm-hmm. upon yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. And is that lawn being fertilized? No. <laughs> okay, then I would do that. You know, it'll get enough fertilizer from your lawn food to to do quite well. Now, remember though that the the most active feeder roots are at your drip line and about twenty five feet or so out from that. So yes. don't put the fertilizer up underneath the tree. Well, you can to feed the grass. But well, to not, feed the grass. Yeah. But if you're focusing on the tree, you want to start at the drip line and go outwards. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, my intention is going to be to cover the grass with light mulch or with uh well like yeah that's fine let the water and stuff through but still start holding the grass down yeah and you don't have to do that cheryl but you surely can take that grass out from under this walnut or like jim's saying you can just die on its own anyway yeah (laughs) yeah well eventually (laughs) or you can just get a you know a good high nitrate lawn food like a 2404 or 2408 something similar to that Put it out there on your lawn, uh, and by you know, as you are feeding your lawn, you're indirectly feeding this tree also. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, my next question is about the peach and a plum tree. Mm-hmm. They're still relatively small. They're about the same age, probably about 15 years old. And as far as I can tell, they really haven't 
they they seem to maybe put out some blooms every once in a while, but they really haven't produced in the last few years. Okay. Um, first they thing, look pretty. They get green foliage on them. Okay. But. Take a look at the trunk first. Okay. Look for pinholes. Look for fray. Looks like sawdust coming out of a hole. Look for sap, particularly right now, coming out of that. On peaches and plums, Jim. Yes. Uh, it can be one of a couple of things. can be uh, turpentine, uh, not turpentine, um, <laughs> ambrosia yeah, beetles. Uh, it can be lesser peach tree borers. And if they're dis- inside there, they're, they can disrupt enough tissue that the plant won't focus on producing fruit. It just focuses on producing leaves. Okay, and if it gets enough damage, then the tree you start having limbs die out of. And, and they're both pretty susceptible too. Yes, yeah. they are. That's one the of the boys. things that makes it hard to grow them here. Yeah. The other thing is, are they being shaded by anything? If they are, that will significantly decrease your crop. Right, pruning also makes it different as well. Yeah. If you're pruning like. Uh, where you open it up on the inside so more light and more air movement can happen as well. Okay, if they're still getting, I don't know, I mean, how much sun do they have to get? Minimum eight hours. Minimum eight hours of direct, uninterrupted sun. Because they are probably within 20 feet of an oak tree, but they're set so they're... The sun comes up east and west. It's not blocked. Right. Okay. North and south that it's blocked. Take a look at take a look at the shape of the tree and see if it appears to be growing away from that oak. It doesn't have to be under it and shaded by it to get the effects of it. So it, if it you, is not. They're both, you know, Pretty trees. Okay. And then what about the pollination, Jim, on the the peach and the plum? Even though I know a lot of them are, some of them on the peaches in particular, self-pollinating. They are self-pollinating, and most plums are somewhat self-pollinating. But you always get better production with a second tree. So you might consider adding that. Right. Um, Yeah. And then fertilize them. That's what I was about to say. What kind of fertilizer or have you given it any later? Because what I'm thinking is, you know, roots intertwine with each other. Like you're under the big, uh, close to the oak tree and the roots go out really far. And then you've got your fruit trees that are around the same area. Would that tree pull nutrients and water away? Well, obviously, it's competing with it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Some I put compost all around it all the time, and uh, water with like, you know, a root stimulator, anything just to stimulate the soil. Uh, because we want to make it kind of, the soil needs to be like the forest floor, basically. Just rich and humus and all kinds of nutrients. And we get that by adding compost to it. But it could okay. be, and all those things are great, Cheryl. But I'm telling you, if you if you have room to put another uh, peach out there and or another plum, or both, uh, honestly, ideally, I think you're going to get better pollination and better fruit production if that happens. Okay, would the same things pretty much apply to an apple tree? Yeah, same yeah. Now things. there, you're going to have to have a pollinator. Yeah. Okay, and it sounds I like have you've no got idea what type tree it is. I mean, what type apple tree? Well, usually if you get another apple, it doesn't have to be the same variety, Cheryl. Yeah. If they're going to pollinate. If it's red, get something golden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're okay. <laughs> yeah, that works great. Good way to think of that. 
Yeah, I mean, but fruit trees, fruit trees, I'm telling you, they're challenging here in the Mid-South. I mean, they couldn't pick a worse place to grow. Right. And it may take a little while after you change the situation for them to do the fruit again. But we're going to run off to a break and then we're going to start our third hour with you wonderful gardeners. We'll be right back.